right. What's going on, y'all? Hope everybody is well. Welcome to the Onyx Report. Know what it is. Okay, so we're running a little different tonight, a little off time. Had a few things going on today, so I wanted to kind of get some things straight. So appreciate you guys being flexible. Uh, But as I usually let y'all know, uh, the Onyx Report is where we as black male justice advocates uh, uplift black men and boys using critical analysis. And we are going to continue that today. So um, uh, got about 39 coming in. Welcome. Hope everybody is good. Got a subject I think you might find interesting and useful. But before we delve into that, um, there's a couple of things I wanted to kind of go over, give people time to come in, right? Um, and while I'm doing that, I'll make sure you support the show, if you would. Got a number of opportunities and different options, different ways to go about doing that. You can do that right here on YouTube. If you can go ahead and click the join button right next to the subscribe button, click both actually and Ideally, choose a level of membership that interests you. Uh, you can also go to Patreon and become a member there, or you can also, I should say, and or you can support the Institute for Black Male Studies through Patreon as well, become a regular uh, donor. Donor. Uh, let me see. Got a few people in here. What's up, Mr. O? What's up, Prince Johnny? Uh, Mr. Blue Collar, what's going on? See Freddie Wayne, JP. Set in the West. What's going on, Malika? What's going on, man? Kasank, Sun God. Hope everybody's well. Come on through. Um, anything else I wanted to cover in here? Oh, well, let me go ahead and shout out my um, my supporters. So let's go ahead and do that for a quick second. And I'll check this out. So peace to the supporters, the donors. I appreciate you regularly support the show. I humbly ask that the rest of you continue to do so as well, uh, especially uh, if you can hit up the cash app, PayPal, so on and so forth. So we can go ahead and get into it. Um, Okay. Hmm. Right. Brother Marty, what's going on? see here. So today I had a, 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 like I said, a couple things I wanted to wrap with you guys about that I thought would be useful. Um, what's up, Queen Kalila? Hope you're well. Brother Adam, what's going on? And I said, you know, let me invite my good brother, 
because I enjoy talking to him. And we're usually off air talking about this stuff anyway. So he was kind enough to join me. Um, let me go ahead and bring him up. What's up, good brother BGS? Hey, what's going on, Dr. T? What's up? Well, about to uh, get into a few things. Um, some of this stuff uh, you are already familiar with. Seeing, I'm trying to see, let me see how to go about this because I want to go over a couple of news reports uh, real quick that I think are of importance for you and I delve in. And some of this directly applies to you, at least in terms of uh, some of the people I'm going to call out that you know. But mm-hmm. uh, before we delve into that, let me just uh, start with a quick shout out in the Sacred Black Ma- Masculine series. Uh, for those that don't know, this is a hashtag that I started uh, last year to acknowledge black men who are doing well. Right? Black men who are doing something, contributing something of note. Uh, and, and it's really random. I kind of treat it based on. Appreciate that support, MLR. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I knowledge brothers organically as it comes across my desk. But this is one that I think people have seen uh, in the last couple of weeks. And I haven't done a live show. In a minute, so I wanted to shout this brother out. Right, uh, you can find this all over the place. I just randomly chose one of many articles about the brother. This one I chose is on Fox Two, Detroit, entitled "Man Saves Twin Girls from House Fire, but Family Loses Everything." Um, and this is a brother named Ray Lucas. Said he and his girlfriend had just run to the corner gas station uh, early uh, this past Saturday morning. He says they were only gone for about fifteen minutes. When they got back, the house was on fire. Uh, um, He said the house was engulfed in smoke. He said, I saw my mom and my niece were standing at the door and they were frantic. Um, Frantic because Ray Lucas says he uh, knew his twin 18-month-old girls, Milan and Malaysia, were still inside, asleep in the basement. Every second, uh, a matter of life and death. He said, I just knew I had to get my babies out. That's what went through my mind. Uh, he said he rushed into their East Point home where he, his girlfriend, Sheehan, his niece um, and mom were all staying before it caught fire uh, so they can no longer live there. Um, but he jumped in, did his thing. Um, he said, you really couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I really only found my babies due to my memory, just knowing where they were and knowing how to get them just from having that same route. Both sweet little girls thankfully made it out, but spent time in the ICU. Malaysia left with severe burns, but is out of the hospital and can be with her mom. Uh, Sheehan, Father Ray, and twin sister Milan, who suffered some smoke inhalation and second degree burns. Um, So let me see if I can at least get uh, an image up here that you guys can see of one of the little girls here. Um... So that was the one that got a burn on her arm. It looks like a little bit of a, her face as well. Mm. Um, but, you know, you know, yeah, they're alive. Right. Uh, said his injuries were also very bad. I was temporarily blind for three days and they said it was a miracle I could see. He said, I've got burns on my arms, but for the most part, everyone's still here. Lucas can't work right now because of his injuries. He said, besides his family losing their home, a number of their possessions are gone and the medical bills continue to mount. They do have a GoFundMe set up. I have not gone to the GoFundMe page. so We can see where it is in a quick second. Uh, he said, if anyone can support, that'll be great. 
Ray says his niece went back inside upstairs to grab a phone and jump from a window. He says the family dealt with flooding the day before and thinks that may have been related to the blaze. So let's see where the GoFundMe is. Oh, wow. Nearly 470,000. So um, mom devastated her twins and dad burned in fire. So if you guys are interested, you can uh, you can look up GoFundMe and you can take this title. Go ahead and help support the brother. But it looks like it's going pretty well. 469 people donated. Uh, 400, nearly 470,000. So that's what's up. Um, so yeah, shout out to that brother um, for doing what black men do. Mm-hmm. Even though we're often not credited for having done such, uh, we nonetheless see that uh, others do, right? So, shout out to him. Right? As we move on through, now this, today's, uh, you know, today's special shout outs are, are really kind of sad in a respect, in a certain respect, even if you don't particularly know much uh, or ride with the individual people in question, there've been a lot of passings recently, especially elders, uh, particularly in the black community, that I think uh, kind of need to be acknowledged, right? So the first one we can talk about uh, just occurred the other day. What's going on here? Here we go. And this is one uh, Dr. Renoko Rashidi. Right? Renoko is an anthropologist, historian with a major focus on what he calls the global African presence. That is Africans outside of Africa before and after enslavement is author and or editor of 22 books, uh, the most recent of which are My Global Journeys in Search of the African Presence, uh, Asada Garvey and Me, A Global African Journey for Children in 2017, and The Black Image in, Image in Antiquity, uh, 2019. His other books include Black Star. Let me see. Getting some strange kind of air here. Uh, Black Star, The African Presence in Early Europe, published uh, by Books of Africa in London uh, in 2011. An African Star Over Asia, The Black Presence in the East, um, published in 2012, and so on. So he's got a, a you know long, long list of publications to his name. Mm-hmm. Many of you may have seen him in the Hidden Colors works or you know some of the other documents, uh, documentaries he may have been involved in. No information that I've run across yet, uh, but I do, I have heard that he passed away in uh, on a trip to uh, Kemet. Yeah, he's doing a tour. Doing a tour. Mm-hmm. Um, now you knew him, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Any, right. Uh, well, thoughts about this? Because um, you were commenting earlier, this is not even the face you remember. No, he was much a much younger man. Okay. A much younger man when not when I first met him. In fact, uh, it was funny because he used to talk about. Uh, Remember, ask. I don't know if you remember Ascac. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. yeah Ascac. He was one of the, one of the founding members of Ascac, okay. and he used to talk about uh, him and other students. Man, actually going into the uh, into university libraries and actually uh, 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 photocopying classic black books mm-hmm. and actually distributing them out so that people could have this knowledge. So a lot of the, a lot of what we know is the, is the conscious community and the knowledge that it's based on comes from these these brothers that were students and teachers actually yeah. going in and actually uh scanning rare books and bringing the knowledge out so that we can actually read it and and uh talk about it and then actually have it so this was like the rebirth of, of black intelligentsia back in the uh, 80s and 
in nineties. Yeah. And this is a lot of what uh, flowed into hip hop. Mm-hmm. Certain, certain artists um, who honored uh, these brothers. So mm-hmm. uh, KRS ones, uh, you know, the, the poor righteous teachers, the rock hymns, they kind of helped, you know, kind of uh, form a bridge. Mm-hmm. Because really, you know, brothers like uh, Rashidi was, was also a bridge between the um, John Henry Clarks and yeah, the yeah. young yeah. generation X. In the, mm-hmm. in the yeah. 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 Uh, excellent. Student. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, uh, the, the professor that used to do the tours, uh, mm-hmm. the Egyptian tours. I'm trying to remember his name, but yeah. Ashraf uh, Quasi? No, no, not Quasi. Before him. Uh, uh, Dr. Ben. Dr. Ben. Dr. Ben. He was actually uh, studied extensively under uh, Dr. Ben. So basically when Dr. Ben got too old, he basically, him and Ashra Kwesi actually took over doing the tours and stuff like that. Right, right, right. So, you know, shout out to that brother. I don't know much more. Uh, if anybody uh, has some additional information, please share it. Go ahead mm-hmm. and put that in the comment section about uh, what may have happened. My understanding is he was doing a tour of Kemet uh, and passed there. And that's I, really I, all I've heard. Yeah, the only yeah, I've heard that he had a heart attack, but you know that's that's as much as I've heard. But yeah, you know, but he there he was a couple of days ago, actually uh, leading a tour like he would normally do, and uh, and yeah, he, he passed away. So he passed away doing what he loved. Yeah, and he said he had he had grappled with health uh, for a while anyway, diabetes and and all kinds of health problems. I remember one time, uh, it was maybe twenty years ago, where. Uh, he had his, his leg got swollen, right, and he had to be cut open, and 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 the mu- and the flesh actually expanded to where they couldn't close it back up. He had to, you know, he had to put a, a cast around his leg, an open wound, basically for like a couple of months. So he had lots of health problems. Wow, wow. Well, so, shout out to him, uh, so, old soldier, man. Yeah, man. Peace to him. Peace to his family. Um, yeah. You know, I just wanted to kind of extend that, but there are more, and that's what makes this this week in and of itself uh, challenging, because there are a number of others. Um, this is a uh, civil rights activist Bob Moses who died mm. at 86 years old. Um, let me just uh, enlarge this a little bit. So this is a uh, Robert Harris Moses, a civil rights activist um, who was shot at and endured beatings in jail while leading Black voter registration drives in America in the American South. During the 60s, uh, later helped improve minority education and math. Died at the age of 86. Mm. Um, said he you know, worked to dismantle seg- uh, segregation as the Mississippi field director of SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, um, especially during uh, 64's Freedom Summer. Mm-hmm. He said um, he started his second chapter in civil rights work in 1982 uh, with the Algebra Project, uh, thanks to in part of Ma- MacArthur Fellowship. Um, and it even said, uh, uh, you know, Ben Moynihan, director of operations, uh, for the algebra project said he had talked with Moses's wife, Dr. Janet Moses. And she said her husband had passed away Sunday morning in Hollywood, Florida. Information Mm -hmm. was not given as to the cause of death. He was born in Harlem, New York, uh, in 1935, uh, two months after a race riot left three dead and injured 60 in the neighborhood. So, um, you know. Another elder passing away this week. Uh, not very much information as to the cause of death, but nevertheless, um, something to at least be acknowledged. No, I'm not. I hadn't actually been familiar with a great deal of, of Moses's work, mm-hmm. but I found it uh, 
just important at least to acknowledge because this is you know this is starting to happen more um and, yeah you know, i forget how, how how old these people actually are yeah yeah we, we think that they're still what they accomplished is still like was like yesterday but it wasn't yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's not and continuing on uh you know sad to say it continues if you're not familiar this is uh dr paul goss mm -hmm. uh, you can find him um let me see on the shadesofafrica.com website, New Body Products. New Body uh, Products, yeah. And he's the founder and president of New Body Products, established in 76 in Compton. He's a holistic uh, doctor, naturopathic doctor. Uh, he uses iridology and diagnosis along with herbal remedies and uh, vegetarian diets for treatment. Um, I, he passed away this week. Again, I don't know cause of death. I don't have a lot of information. Uh, so again, if anybody has more, feel free to share it. Yeah, I was talking to Jamal, and he, who actually, you know, is really good friends with Dr. Goss. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, what Jamal had said is that he had an um, automobile accident uh, wow. three years ago, and uh, he started deteriorating after that. Okay. Okay. He never fully recovered. So this is probably uh, complications from that automobile accident that he had three years ago. Wow. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's uh, he's like 80, 84. So yeah, he's what's up? up there. What's up, Newstal? Uh, Newstal said uh, he died in his sleep and was in his eighties. Mm -hmm. 80, 84. Yeah. yeah, he's like a year older than my mother. Yeah, um, brother brother Malika gives us uh, some very necessary insight. Um, you know, brothers definitely have to take care of themselves. You know, ourselves really, and that, and, and 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 that's important to actually say ourselves because to some extent. Uh, it's something we have to reach out to each other about, you know, um, because uh, really, when you look at life expectancy, when you look at health quali quality of life, um, you know, I don't think enough people talk about black men. But uh, I, I think, you know, we tend to find ourselves at the bottom of that list across the board. Uh, and, 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 you know, ironically enough, sadly, Dr. Goss was one of those people that not only knew that, but was actively fighting uh, to improve uh, black men and black, well, black folk in general, people in general, but most particularly black folk, um, you know, he's fighting to improve the quality of life. And yet, um, you know, it's sad to hear about this. So um, a shout out to him, you know, least to his family. Um, but, you know, like I said, it, it, it's, it's a lot. I know somebody said uh, 84 is a good lived age. And I agree with you. You know, um, I might have a, a bone to pick with that statement if I was 84, though. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd be ready to leave at 84. <laughs> your opinion. That's, you know, I wasn't done. <laughs> you, you, want, you want triple digits, huh? Yeah, well, you know, I, I might feel that way if I was 84. Um, and if you're not familiar, we have yet another, um, you know, who passed. This is uh, by the Glenn Ford, mm -hmm. the Black Agenda Report, um, mm -hmm. also passed away. Um, this time we actually do have a bit of a write-up. They all I couldn't always find um, uh, uh, an obituary, um, but some of them did uh, have them. <clears throat> and this is uh okay, hold on. I think my screen is finally no, it's still giving me problems. All right, so it says legendary journalist and founder of the Black Agenda Report, Glenn Ford has died. He was seventy-one. Ford's mentee and colleague, Margaret Kimberly, announced the news of his death the morning of Wednesday, July 28th on Twitter. Said, I'm sorry to inform you that Glenn Ford. See, now my thing is waking up. It's moving around. Uh, 
she said, uh, sorry to inform you that Glenn Ford, uh, my friend, comrade, and mentor has passed away. We'll share information as we receive it. May he rest in power. Um, described as the certified elder of the, of the uh, Black journalism tribe, uh, Ford was an, 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 an unapologetic, trusted voice in media, pioneered several national media platforms dedicated to delivering news from the black from a black perspective. Um, they included Black World Report, a weekly 30-minute news magazine, and America's Black Forum, which became um, the first nationally syndicated black news interview program on commercial TV when it debuted in 1977. Um, it says uh, ABF is said uh, to have, oh, come on now, said to have uh, been the go-to source for black content by international news services, including Associated Press, United Press International, Reuters. Appreciate that support, Xavier. Uh, Reuters, uh, Agents France Press, and TASS, uh, the Soviet Union's news agency. Ford wasn't done trailblazing, however. He launched Black Agenda Reports in 1979, focused on various subsets within the Black community, such as business, women, history, and entertainment, and launched Wrap It Up, the first nationally syndicated hip-hop music show in 87, co-founded BlackCommentator.com in 02. Um, he and some staff members left in 2006 to launch a different media platform, Black Agenda Report, which is where he remained serving as executive editor until his death. Um, yeah, so knowledge, acknowledging yet another passing again, I don't have any information beyond that. So if anybody else has any information, um, feel free to share, uh, to share, you know, um, were you familiar with, uh, Ford? Only, only by reputation and, and listening to his broadcast. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, he's one of the, you know, one of the bridges to, to the civil rights, you know, movement. Because I don't know what his, his show's been on, like what, in some shape, form, fashion for like 40, almost 50 years. Wow. Yeah. So he's he, he's been at this for a very long time. Very respected journalist. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes well, I would usually listen to him and say, but Glenn Ford is still around? <laughs> <laughs> well, man, you've been putting it in for years. I mean, a lot, of these, right, years. a lot of these uh, citations are from the 70s. I might mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so. You know, still, uh, like I said, we got a we had a week of, of elders, um, esteemed black men in their respective areas. And uh, I wanted to at least uh, shed, you know, send some light that way. Uh, acknowledge them um, for their accomplishments, and the role they played, um, you know, in the struggle. So shout out to them. Um, yeah. Let me see. So uh, lastly, before we dive into the main subject little bit of um, let me see All right. a little bit of information some of you may find interesting if you haven't had a chance to look this over this is from a report on Atlanta Black Star this is a little quick public service announcement if it's at all relevant to you uh, it's entitled we wish to give you a fresh start historically black colleges and universities cancel millions in school debt for nation's students Right. Countless students around the nation are breathing a sigh of relief, with many of them starting life post-college less burdened by debt. That's thanks to news from the U.S. Department of Education, which announced in April that between the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan, historically black colleges and universities would receive $5 billion 
from the Higher Education Emergency, Emergency Relief Fund. This relief fund kicked off a host of HBCUs. Appreciate that, Uru. I haven't seen you in here. Good to see you in here, brother. Um, let's see. Let me put this on the screen for you. Um, yeah. So listen to brother Uru there. Uh, anyway, so it says this relief fund kicked off a host of HBCUs recently announcing student debt cancellation. The debt relief was a result of the Federal CARES Act's plan, a fund created when the CARES Act was signed into law last year as part of a wide-ranging COVID-19 relief package. In Ohio, Wilberforce University, a private historically Black university, surprised its graduating class uh, classes of 2020 and 2021 by clearing their school debt. Because you represent the best of your generation, we wish to give you a fresh start. So therefore, Wilberforce, Wilberforce University Board of Trustees has authorized me to forgive any debt. Your accounts have been cleared. And you don't owe Wilberforce, Wilberforce anything, said the university president, Alfred Anthony Pinkard. Um, the announcement was made May 29th commencement ceremony, during which 166 students graduated. Wilberforce is said uh, says it was able to clear more than $375,000 in student debt with the help of scholarships from the United Negro College Fund and Jack and Jill, along with other funding. Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University in Tallahassee is the latest HBCU to join the trend. President Larry Robinson announced on July 31st that the university spent more than $16 million to cover fees, tuition, and unpaid student account balances during the uh, 2020-2021 school year. Um, added to the list of, uh, of eliminating student debt is Clark Atlanta uh, School uh, says federal funds from the CARES Higher Education Act Emergency Relief Fund have allowed it to provide relief for students over the last two years. These funds will eliminate student account balances from the previous five semesters. South Carolina, South Carolina State University also announced plans to clear nearly 10 million in student debt for more than 2,500 continuing students. Delaware State University said uh, in May it would cancel more than $700,000 in loans for recent graduates. Uh, Shaw University, North Carolina, says it plans to cover summer tuition for more than 400 students. In addition to HBCUs, another group of colleges in Connecticut also canceled student debt for its students. Uh, lastly, I think it's uh, Connecticut State Colleges and Universities will cancel $17 million and student debt for community colleges, um, college students due to COVID. Um, let's see. Yeah, it looks to be the gist of it. So if any of that is uh, relevant to you or someone you know, uh, delve in, ask questions, and look out for that. So, yeah, I think a lot of that's unpayable anyway. So mm-hmm. um, if they can dump trillions of dollars into the uh, stock market and the banks, they can, you know, they can give students at least some kind of relief. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. So that's what we're looking at. Um, and it's looking to me uh, like that is enough uh, for today as far as uh, current news. Uh, we got 176 watching. Please like, share, subscribe, support, and donate. Uh, support the channel. Um, as uh, BJS is kind enough to join me mm-hmm. on this topic, um, uh, let me see here. Uh, right. So, y'all saw the title. Winter is here, but what is a village conky surf? Well, this is where. Oh, let's see where that came from. 
There it oh, is. Smooth. Okay, oh. smooth. What up, smooth? Yeah, appreciate the support, man. Hope you're well. Um, that's weird. Streamline did Streamyard didn't show me who it was for a minute. Anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, so this is a concept that I've been writing about for a while. And I'll kind of go in and explain it, but let me start with where it came from. A number of years ago, um, you know, I was doing the, the dating app thing and I ran across a woman and we met up, uh, has had some communication, met up at a little coffee spot and uh, began to talk from there. Suffice it to say, say that, uh, what do they call it? Is it, is it catfishing? I think I got yeah, catfish. Yeah, catfish. Yeah. I think I got catfish. So the discussion didn't go long, but anyway, uh, in the midst of all of that conversation that we had having coffee where I was trying to figure out how to get the hell out of there. <laughs> we started talking and see, this is one of the problems I have BGS. The, the sociologist comes out of me mm-hmm. where it's like, I, I want to be gone, but she didn't, she said something and I'm taking mental notes at this point. Mm-hmm. So this was a, this was an older woman and uh, she was talking to me about how she lived with her, or I should say her mother lived with her. Okay. Her daughter lived with her. Mm-hmm. Another daughter had a house a few doors down. Mm-hmm. There was another female family member. Appreciate that support, K-Ron. Um, another female family member had a, a, a home a couple of doors over as well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what that is. Mm-hmm. And so I started to look into it. And, um, you know, uh, shout out to Michael Green for that cash out. And I started to kind of examine this concept and I looked at a number of different uh, frameworks, familial structures. Okay. And one of the things I ran across was this concept. Well, you know, it, we often talk about a matriarchy, mm-hmm. um, but as you know, in, in the space that we're in, uh, we've moved away from matriarchy as a framework mm-hmm. for what's going on in the black community. Uh, and we've opted for a gynocracy. Uh, mm-hmm. And since I am sitting with one of the people who has articulated that concept and, and really developed the, the scaffolding for it in this space. Do you care to tell people or give them a refresher on what a gynocracy is? Uh, gynocracy, a, a classic matriarchy, according to the matriarchal society, right? Classic matriarchy is an, is, is an equal sharing or equitable sharing of, of, um, power between male and female even though and mostly the the female normally leads the family and the outside world will like politics and whatnot men still have power so it's equal sharing of power or an equitable situation which is what most feminists say they're shooting for right but a gynocracy is the uh is actually the uh a female-led patriarchy basically where it's ruled by women that's what that's what gyno you know gynocracy actually means ruled by women in other words in the black in our black community, which is flipped on its head, it's not a matriarchy. It's actually mm-hmm. a gynocracy because eighty uh, percent of our, our politicians are female. Uh, most of our our, our, our our scholars or in our uh, teachers are female. Um, uh, basically, most of the families are female led, and have been for a very long time. And if if it basically if anybody in everybody in space knows that you cannot. Uh, cannot basically say anything against black women without some kind of repercussion no so but it, it, it don't it doesn't matter where it is whether it's politics whether it's the office whether it's in academia as, as dr johnson has uh, said for a very long time 
even in the conscious community where I come from, right? We're supposed to think that whole types of conscious community is male led. No, it's actually female led. Mm-hmm. Even if you think about uh, uh, Islam in the United States, amongst the black community, right? In the classic Islam, the children belong to whom? The father. Mm-hmm. Okay. In black community, the way nation of Islam and Islam in the black community, the children still belong to the mother. The mother carries the, the children from one, from one marriage to the next. Right. So it still operates the same way as the gynocracy does, believe it or not. So mm-hmm. the women are in charge. They've been in charge. Uh, they haven't been as vocal as they are now, like BLM, stuff like they talk about let, let black women lead. But uh, that's been a way that's been that way for a very long time. So it, it's it, it started with the, if we first got wind of it with uh, Sojourner Truth in 1850 that didn't want black men to get the vote because they didn't want to be ruled by black men. Right. They wanted to keep their power. So. Which, which became an entrance point for white feminists mm-hmm. to begin to court black women mm-hmm. because that very notion, you know, wanting to really build off that. And it, and it worked in many respects. Mm-hmm. It worked. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say what, what, what brought me to that, the reason I asked you to define that for us is because when I ran across this particular family, I realized that this was far from the first time I'd ever seen this. Mm-hmm. It was actually the first time I, I bothered to pay attention to it. Attention, attention to it, and Malika and Artisan got me dying because Artisan called it a coven. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that that's what that's what uh, Kevin Samuels called it. You know, back in 2017 when we were actually talking about the gynocracy and the myth of white womanhood, he yeah. said he was raised by a coven by his his mother and his I think his three aunts. Yeah, yeah, I was as well. The, the, the you know my mother's I was raised with my mother's side of the family it was all women. Like matter mm-hmm. of fact, there was only one male. Um, and on that whole side of the family and my father's side were all men, mm. um, but it, it was split along those lines. And I could see that, you know, the differences really. But in regard to this particular family I ran across, when I began to think about it, I, I, I looked up this concept that dealt with what was referred to as a matripotestal uh, group. And basically, you know, you're going to have to spell that. Doc. Well, <laughs> that wasn't even the one I want to deal with. But anyway, okay. you know, so it's M-A-T-R-I. P-O-S-T-E-S-T-A-L, um, a matripotestal group. And it had to do with almost like spheres of uh, women that were top down in terms of the, mother, the, the you know, grandmothers, the mothers, in terms of leading the family. I started to look at a gynopotestal framework because in the black community, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. we don't have a traditional uh, matriarchal setup. And a matripotestal is still based on a, a matriarchal idea. Mm-hmm. When you talk about a gynocracy, as a, the black gynocracy at that, it has its own fingerprint. It has its own unique history where we have a female patriarchy that in many ways is a product of generations of practice, but also policy. Mm-hmm. So when I started to look at this family setting and I started to realize how often I'd seen it. And if anything, I've seen it a lot more since this, you know, this you know, kind of revelatory moment that I had. It was a, a, a series of families that were all connected through women mm-hmm. and, and they all ran their respective households. They, you know, often, you know, kind of close knit in many ways. And it became mm-hmm. a way of navigating, um, you know, impoverishment, and, you know, cause contrary to the popular idea that, that uh, black women are, are, are balling out of control and black men are just far behind. We've mm-hmm. covered this in previous shows. That that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. You, you look at a, a uh, I think the movie yesterday you told me to watch, which is a uh, lack blues. Oh yeah, a good example of a of a of a gynopotestal uh, network. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. 
And this goes back to something you had actually said once in a conversation when we were talking about uh, the relationships between black men and the society and black women in the society and black mm. women were the ones that were able to navigate white society mm. differently. Yes. We can take it back to. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it was uh, uh, Nathan and Julia Hare. It was one of their books. And they said that uh, they call it a myth, but it's not a myth. Right. Uh, is that uh, black women are the liaison uh, between black men and white society and have been for a very long time. Yeah. They could talk to a uh, they could talk to a bill collector or a cop, um, talk to um, a judge or talk to whatever whatever white society has, right? It, it, it basically speak for the man because along for a very long time the men could not speak directly to white men without some kind of repercussion. So well, it was always the wife or the you know the wife or the or the mother that had to intervene. Well, and and I've done that that test in real time. Mm -hmm. I've had I've had relationships with women when I was when I was really just beginning my research into black male life, the quality of life and the issues we grapple with. Mm -hmm. And when I started to point out, point out differences in how we navigate uh, the halls of power, if you will, whether it be, uh, you know, an electoral issue or whether it be a bill collector. Mm -hmm. I had past girlfriends that would say, no, there's no difference. You know, there's no reason that your power is getting cut off. You just didn't say the right combination of words. Right. And, and I would literally have them script for me what to say. Mm -hmm. I've had operators hang up on me and then I would have her call back and they would give her everything. Even though mm -hmm. I said the exact words I was asked. I've had, uh, appreciate that. Uru. I've had that happen with, uh, you know, with, working at, on university campuses, dealing with deans, dealing with, you know, provosts. I've had the same dynamic go on. There is a, a, a very critical difference between how black men are received and how black women are received in that regard. So you're definitely on point with it. Mm -hmm. Um, get, uh, got Uru up in here. I ain't seen you in a while, man. It's good to see you in here. It says the so-called black community is an interconnected matrix of small and larger covens of black women empowered and forced by the white supremacy. That, that, that's, that's, that's pretty accurate. I, right. can't, I can't argue with that. And that's what, you know, and, and, and that's precisely what a gynopotestal arrangement is. It's a coven in that way. And so you have these these small satellite families that were each led, whether it be the youngest daughter who got into her new place and has a and has a pookie or what's what's the term? Uh, uh, what's the term for the uh, guy who's living off her? Oh, uh, uh, homosexual, a homosexual or whether it's the elder mom who is in charge of everything and her mother still lives with her, but has, you know, re has relinquished the position, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I actually told this, I think I told you this story doc. Uh, uh, uh when I was, uh, <laughs> I remember I had, you know, when they first had the debit cards for banks, it's back in the mid eighties. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, so in case that something happened to me, right. I gave, I got one and I got one for my mother just in case, you know, I, I got put in jail because at that time you could be could put in jail and you could, didn't have access to your money. So mm -hmm. I gave her one and I had one right for emergencies. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. I remember uh, 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 moving in with with my uh, fiance at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were visiting my mother and um, my mother went in her wallet, gave my fiance the card. <laughs> and say you're responsible for him now <laughs> she literally hand over control and right. control and ownership yeah. of me right. to yeah. my to, to to my fiance 
Yeah, like a horse. Like know? a horse. Or yeah. like a like a father giving over, you know, his his daughter over to the husband. Right, right, right. Which is in reverse. <laughs> and I looked at her and, mm-hmm. and this was this was without my permission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I and, and I've told you similar stories. I mean, I remember when I got married, well, the funniest thing to me, my mother would call, but she wouldn't call to talk to me. Mm-hmm. She would call my wife to ask her if I've been acting right. Mm. Now, this is the woman that raised me. I'm thinking this is the first time I've ever been married. I'm a young man. I'm supporting my household and, you know, I'm working and taking care of insurance and bills and making sure that if she has trips to the hospital, I'm covering all of that. But my mother was calling to make sure I was acting right. Nobody called to ask if she was acting right because the dynamics are as you described. Right. Uh, and matter of fact, real quick, I'm going to I'm going to bring up WG's question. Uh, and I noticed you answered him in the comments. No, uh, WG, we haven't talked about this, but I think it still speaks to the point. This is about the young woman who uh, they, they did a news report. She was about yeah. to be evicted. Yeah. And she, she had three, uh, three kids. Yeah. And, you know, people started donating, you know, like crazy because she looked at her wits end. She looked like she didn't have a plan. She looked like she was terrified. And I think part of what this is um, or what that was is, you know, it, it was very much speaking to this concept we're talking about. Um, you know, women are, are are definitely going to support each other in that endeavor. And even men are not used to seeing this. Um, the ties we have to, you know, our mothers in the black community, you know, are, are a little different than other communities, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the, mainly for the, the way we're raised. But we talk about it even in the manosphere in regard to just being raised by single mothers, but it's bigger than that. We're often raised in a network of, of silos that are run by women. This is the arrangement. It's not just the household you're in. It's your grandma's house. It's your aunt's house. It's your cousin's house. It's your sister's house. There are these networks Mm -hmm. that that play out like this. Mm -hmm. Why do I bring this up? Well, part of the reason I bring this up is I think in the moment we're in, it's important to look at some of the things that are going to be placed at black men's feet. And one of the things I began to notice, and, and it was partially in talking to this woman, but woman, but when I stepped back and began to look at other gynecological or coven networks that we've seen, what I started mm-hmm. to notice was the way, especially in the last year that men are conceptualized. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and what I started to see was that if you are seduced, into one of these networks, right? You're, you're, you're dealing with a given woman and you get tied to her. There are things that come with being tied to her that you may not necessarily be aware of. Mm-hmm. And this also, so, you know, in a way you have beauty, you have sex, you even have the performance of respect and or submission all as kind of lures. But what ends up happening is a sort of bait and switch where you end up becoming of service to a network of women and your service is assumed because of your relationship to one, whether it's fixing things at multiple people's houses, driving people around, paying rent payments and covering other bills, so on and so forth. There is a way that you can become um, kind of uh, tied to this network in a very servile manner. And it's not openly discussed. You might even be shamed into doing it if you don't necessarily jump in as willing as you are expected to be. But the reason I point this out 
is we're at a particularly vulnerable. Appreciate that, Uru. Um, let me see. What does he say? I've discovered over the years my mother basically brokered with my wife various controlling measures. <laughs> and they don't even think about it. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it it's very subtle. Right. It, is, it is very subtle. It is very subtle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we go out. Uru's gonna be up here tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's 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 on fire tonight. You better you better keep keep your schedule clear tonight, bro. You're gonna be up here in a minute. <laughs> um, I'm not playing. He's gonna be up here in a minute. Mm. But, <laughs> but I just wanted to kind of get this out because I think in one vein, it's something that black men need to be aware of because it, it it's it's a very subtle thing. And when you're raised in a family and a network, multiple networks of women, you 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 are you're actually conditioned into this even more because it's it, in many ways it's it's kind of seen as normal for many of us but it can become exploitive it you can be brought into it in a near predatory fashion and in a moment where we're dealing with employment issues we're dealing with mass housing issues i mean we know the cdc is trying to put forth another eviction moratorium mm-hmm. um, and even though it's been ruled uh unconstitutional, it's unconstitutional yeah you know, they're pushing to do that. Uh, thank you, W. Yes. It is a village husband. Yeah. It is a village husband. That's what we're talking about. This is what you're ready to talk about. Yeah. yeah. This is the lure that you can find yourself in. And the difference is it's it, it can be sexual. Don't get me wrong, because BGS talks about the village wife, and I want him to get into that in a minute, because there's a relationship here. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the village concubine, the village husband, you can it can be sexual, but it, it in many ways... It really has more to do with protection, protection and provision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, you know, uh, unlike the traditional nuclear family construct where you're protecting and providing for those in your immediate household and your nuclear arrangement, mm-hmm. you are now tied to whatever her network is. Mm-hmm. And your participation is assumed. Mm-hmm. And it really is. There's not a lot of room to break from that without the social punishment within these networks of families uh, mm-hmm. for doing so. Um, and in many ways, we kind of chide each other to, you know, man up and do it. But but there's a lot going on with this. And I kind of wanted to put that on the table. Uh, now, BGS, you've done you've had conversations about the village wife. Yes. And you and I have talked about uh, this, this, this village husband, this village concubine. Explain to them what the village wife is and, and what role you can see that black men ha- are, are forced to play in this dynamic. Okay, a village wife is a very old concept, especially when you have, uh, a, when you have a, a poly, uh, polyamory, uh, not polyamory. I think it's polyamory relationship. So if you have a polygamous relationship where one man will have four or five wives, right? Then yeah. they leave. You know, so you have a group of men that have uh, the bulk of the wives, and uh, you have a, a group of men that don't have any. And to keep peace and keep the wives from cheating and keep the uh, the young men from actually doing harm to the to the husbands that have all the wives, what they do is they allow a man to actually share a woman. So they'll get a, either a woman from the village or get a woman from another village. And so you have like a group of like maybe five to ten guys share one woman. They'll get a, a communal house for her. And her job is to entertain sexually. Uh, these group of men. So, so in other words, it is it, it's 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 not quite prostitution, but it's pretty close. But in other words, this is a sharing of a wife, sharing of a of, of a resource. So, mm-hmm. the young men will have a resource to go to, and her her only job is to basically 
uh, have sex and have babies for these group of men. And what happens is that in the village wife is that eventually over time she will choose, you know, she'll cut down the number of men that she's actually with. She'll choose one. But all the her, all her offspring are actually what they call children of the village. So the whole village in this concept is basically has to take care of whatever offspring comes out of her. And um, mm -hmm. and I was reading uh, a Diane Stewart's book called uh, uh, Black Women, Black Love. And she described what an Africana kinship network was, right? Mm -hmm. so Africana kinship network is where, um, where a woman doesn't necessarily have to be tied to the father of her, of, of her children. So in mm -hmm. other words, um, uh, so she can she can have sex with and have babies by multiple men, like three, four, five, sometimes even six men, right? And have babies by them all, and the brunt of the care is, is borne by her and the rest of her Africanic kinship network. I would be uncles, grandmothers, uh, 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 aunts, you know, cousins, whatever. They all come together and give these children what they need. So the right. so the so the whole village is is actually. Uh, takes the brunt of care for all these children and this is what all the women that in in this village want in other words they're not dependent on the father so they so their their kinship network will actually supply all the needs uh child care uh clothing money housing whatever these children need is borne by the brunt of the village and a lot, a lot of women actually want this in fact a lot of women actually in, in this case because yes. of the state actually practice this yes exactly Mm -hmm. and I think I think that's what I'm leaning toward here. Look, I'll put it and I've said this. I think I said it last year mm -hmm. when I was coming up, going through high school. And based on what I'd experienced in my own family and what all my boys, for the most part, had experienced, I thought it was pretty much a given that mm -hmm. I would be a stepfather. Mm -hmm. I, I treated it as a given that, that whether you know, from from the early 20s up, any woman I dealt with over the age of 20 was more than likely going to already have a child. I didn't think anything negatively about this. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't. I didn't critique it. I mean, there's some of these brothers that that have been claiming they've been red pill since the '80s. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I was. This is just what I thought. It never dawned on me that I would meet, marry, and have children with a woman that didn't already have children. And what I'm saying is, this is one of the earliest stages of this idea, where the expectation that you serve as a stepfather is assumed. Now, in other cultures, it's a big deal to get a man to marry a woman that already has children mm -hmm. in our community. Mm -hmm. Not so much. It's, if anything to say, appreciate that Xavier. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I'll put that up on the screen. I want to support brother uh, Tim Alexander. Um, and I will consider doing that. I haven't done a review in a while, but I've shown his, his piece in my classes. So I, I'll consider that Xavier. Thanks. But, um, you know, as far as this, this kind of expectation, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a strange thing. As a matter of fact, I remember the first time I heard somebody in the manosphere say that they didn't want to date single mothers. I was blown out of my chair because mm, okay. it never dawned on me that we could say that. <laughs> <laughs> I treated it as a given, and, you know, and I don't have a dog in the fight one way or the other, but I'm simply saying the fact that it had become so common by the 1980s that it could mm -hmm. be an expectation by a young teenager that hadn't even seriously gotten into the dating market speaks to how prevalent it was. But what we're talking about is very much akin to what you just described. Right. Because the expectation that different men come in and supplement this family setting that he mm -hmm. may not even be able to benefit from right. or be a part of for very long. As a matter of fact, it's expected 
that even if they break up or get a divorce, if they've gotten married, mm-hmm. that he will continue to pay. I mean, we call it child support. It can very well be alimony, but it is baked into the familial structure. Right. Our culture, where if you are not willing to continue to pay, mm-hmm. there are legal means to make sure you continue to pay, even if those children aren't biologically yours. Mm. And we saw what, a couple months ago it was a woman that got up and was talking about she broke up with a wealthy man and 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 wanted him to still supplement her life even though they broke up mm-hmm. it was it was shocking cuz i think i don't know if she was white she wasn't black i remember that much but it was shocking to a lot of people and a lot of people got upset but when i looked at it i was like how is that different than what we've been seeing for the last 30 40 years at least we can go yeah. back to the 70s how yeah. is it fundamentally different yeah you remember uh uh, uh the the palimony suits mhm mm. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I've been, you know, it was I forget his name. Uh, uh, it was an actor that got sued for alimony because his side chick <laughs> wanted to, to to get alimony for 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 being a girlfriend for for you know fifteen years, twenty mm-hmm. years. Said mm-hmm. I gave my career for him to be his girlfriend. <laughs> okay, that's the old alimony stuff. Hey. So, yeah. And I think I think some of that's been opened up even further. When I look at Bill Cosby. Uh, I see a, 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 a severance check for side pieces. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, you know, but but at the, at the end of the day, I think what we're looking at here is there's a dynamic going on, a set of expectations when it comes to black men that a lot of us have seen, but haven't really you know reflected upon in terms of how widespread it is and how structured it is. Mm-hmm. But it's rooted in an expectation that men serve. Even, you know, if the state has to get involved, even if relationships have to be over. I put this on my Facebook page a few days ago. There's an interview that mm-hmm. Vlad does with, um, um, oh, what's the brother's name? Um, uh, martial artist. Um, oh, Michael J. White. Well, uh, Michael J. White. Yeah, thank yeah. you. And, and matter of fact, shout out to his son. His son just passed away. Uh, from yeah, COVID. yeah, COVID, yes. Um, and that, you know, that's the first time I've ever seen, you know, Michael visibly affected in that way so you know no father should outlive his son you know so or his kids so mm-hmm. you know, shout out to to white but they were also having a conversation about divorce in california and he was talking about how when you hit that 10-year mark what that means in regard to divorce and and what you owe and they were talking because they were talking about dr dre and so on and so forth but that whole conversation in and of itself is part of what we're looking at here the, the legal tie-in of men's resources is a part of this, but in the black community, community, the way we see these networks play out, you are not just tied to one woman. Yeah, somebody, are, somebody said Blue Jasmine was her name. Was they, yeah, Blue Jasmine, right? And I don't know what she was, but I don't think she was black. No, she was. She was. I think she was uh, Latina. I think she right. was Cuban. Okay. Um, so that being said, I just want us to be able to kind of be aware of that because I think the, the, the black family has evolved in a particular way beyond the nuclear construct. So when we talk about it in relation to the nuclear idea um, of, of concuserfdom, of men serving women, it's bigger than that. You serve a network when you are a good black man. You serve a network and none of your interests or concerns are prioritized. You become... A foot soldier, in essence, to whatever the family dynamic is. Um, and, and that's kind of one of the things I've noticed with that. So I think it goes beyond the individual family framework, and it, it really speaks to the new village. And the new village is coven-led. Mm, 
Yes. It's coven led. You know, so that being said, as, as we are entering this winter era, era as we're mm-hmm. entering this period where men's resources are now valued more than ever. Mm-hmm. I've seen more women coming into men's spaces on social media than I have ever seen. Mm, uh, yes. Not just to argue anymore. That was the first wave. I think a couple of years ago, we started to see, you know, there was this big YouTube war where they were trying to get people's channels, you know, taken down. Right. That was one of the earliest waves. But now what do you see? You see people taking notes. Yes. You see questions being asked. The tone of the environment has changed. And men's men's resources are now being valued in a way that wasn't the case just a few years ago. Yeah. The, the educated lames, quote unquote, have become all of a sudden high value men. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why when, you know, when we start to talk about income, we start to talk about you know, what that looks like for men and women, people were shocked to find that even in the black community, men still make up, make more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unless you account for incarceration, which does set us back short of that, on average, men tend to earn more. That has been, you know, for the most part, buried for years. And the idea was that black women just earn more, black men needed to catch up, so on and so forth. But that aside, it's being, you know, men's resources, men's capacities, men's achievements are now being valued in a way I haven't seen in my lifetime. Mm. A lot of that has to do with the current environment. Mm. Now, what could be happening right now that would shift that dynamic to the point where men didn't even know they were doing better until very recently? Because that, that hasn't been the mainstream conversation. But now there's a reason. What is that reason? Uh, one is the, the she session. The mm-hmm. other reason is that, uh, you know, uh, brothers are actually sharing their, their, uh, their influence and also their, their, their experiences. Yeah. And, uh, so, so, yeah. you know, brothers are willing to dig into this, uh, dig into the crates, you know, thanks to, you know, people like you and our, our learned scholars, uh, verified that the research that we're doing is actually valid because before it wasn't. But now we have, you know, you guys are digging up all kinds of stats and stuff like, like, like to the most, to the average person, not probably not available. I'm sure um, a lot of this stuff is behind paywall and in journals and stuff like that. But the thing is, is that now this, this stuff that was hit or buried, it wasn't hidden, was buried. It's not mm-hmm. coming to light. You yeah. know, it's, and some of that is because of we getting more, you know, brave scholars like you guys to come forward and actually expose this stuff. And the other thing is that now the, you know, the, 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 the so-called crap is hitting the fan and mm-hmm. now these men are actually needed mm-hmm. to come in and actually you know shore up some of these women where the state can't anymore but you know and this is why this is why i honor i honor the brothers in this space because mm-hmm. this is the conversation that you know i've been waiting decades for black men to have right mm-hmm. and now that black men are having it we're comparing experiences we're comparing notes as you said we're finding out that you know you're not crazy what you're going through in Oakland is the same thing. A brother's going through in Tallahassee is the same thing in New York or Atlanta and Florida and Texas. You know, it, we're finding that the same dynamics are being are being experienced. Black men are dealing with it, uh, especially in relation to our own families and, and our relationships and, and networks. And we're finding that one, we're not crazy, and two, we're doing better than than we were told. Now that's mm-hmm. the reason that black men can't continue to do better and better. I'm not suggesting that we don't. But it is that black men are doing better than we were told. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see people treat us as such as now that necessity dictates. Mm-hmm. Right? 
And we're starting to slowly find, and this is still in its infancy, we're starting to slowly find that you, if you are not in the top 5%, maybe top 10%, there is now a language being put in place to still appreciate what you can give, mainly because necessity. Yeah. So everybody seems to want a high value man. That's, that's been the discussion you know, going on for a little while now. But as, as the, the game of musical chairs, economic musical chairs is, mm-hmm. is really starting to, to happen. The music is starting to, to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, now, all of a sudden, the doors are opening up. And what I want to I want you to be aware of is that part of what you might find yourself invited into is a network that you are expected to become beholden to. Mm-hmm. that you may not understand in terms of what, you know, the breadth of it. And, you know, what the obligations really are. Uh, and they're not going to be brought to you right up front. You know, they're definitely going to be a lot more subtle. Now, I'm not judging it. If, you know, if, if you, you know, gauge each situation as it's presented to you, if it's something you can handle, then by all means, make a decision. I just want you to be aware, if you're not already, that these are the kind of networks we're looking at. And we have to really shift from this kind of individualizing of how we understand our households and really begin to see the networks that have already been in place for a while now that you are supposed to play a role in, in supporting, uh, whether it has to do with family structures, you had nothing to do with building uh, strategic decisions, you know, financial decisions, the family's made that you had no place in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet you are expecting to expected to supplement this mm-hmm. ongoing fashion where you still don't have any authority. You're still mm-hmm. not asked or referenced to make these decisions. No. Who are expected to fund them to find yeah, you were you weren't invited to the meeting <laughs> yeah. and you still aren't but mm-hmm. you you can pay for whatever the decision is out of that meeting mm-hmm. um yeah see you know what let me get uru in here because he's <laughs> I, don't know what he's... I, 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 I think i have his uh email emailing you want you want to eat that you want to send you gonna send it to him yeah i'll send it to him yeah, yeah, you gotta get up in here, man. You. T- <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't unless you have his email. Uh, um. Well, if you're already doing it, I mean, let me know. Okay. Uh, let me see. Yeah, because yeah. if we open it up, everybody's coming in. Oh, you know, they, they want everybody wants to talk to the doc. And we might be able to do that a little bit later, but I definitely wanted to get I wanted to get the idea out on the table and 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 start some you know give some kind of framework to it before we we do it because I'm not look here's the thing. I'm not necessarily saying that this is some kind of evil thing that you have to avoid. What I'm saying is you have to make that decision on your own. But the problem is that nobody tells you that this is the network you're being invited into. And I think that's an important thing that needs to be put on the table. What is the nature of this network? Now, technically, families all over the world have networks. That's it's not wholly, um, you know, and unrealistic to have networks, but the nature of these networks is, I think, in our community especially, is important to look at. Mm-hmm. These are networks that, by and large, men are not in positions of authority. They're not respected as such. They're not referenced as such. They're not asked to play a role as such. They, but they are expected to finance them. Yeah, they are financed with not only with, with with money, but also their labor and expertise. Because um, Okay, say if, say if you're a fairly bright guy or you have a, a, a field of expertise, your woman will actually loan you out to her friends and family mm-hmm. for, not, for, yes. for, for no pay. You're yes. expected to do it for free. Yes. Mothers, grandmothers, friends, you're expected mm-hmm. to, to fix you know things, to pay for yeah. things, to support pay for things. things, to raise yeah. boys most mm-hmm. particularly. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's a family uh, kind of role that we haven't really thought about. Because when we talk about the black family, we're only taught to think about the women. Mm-hmm. But really, there is an expectation that men play a particular role when it comes to raising children, most particularly boys. Mm-hmm. One of the things I hear the most from men is that when a boy reaches a certain age to where the women in the family are having trouble with him, mm-hmm. they will all of a sudden call ex-boyfriends, you know, fathers that they've, you know, run off, any their uncles, mm-hmm. brothers, mm-hmm. cousins, whoever, to come in mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, raise him into manhood, you know, uh, while he's at his most disobedient and rebellious. Mm-hmm. Now, here's, yeah. here's the twist, though. You're supposed to come in and fix him after he's 15, after he's 16. You know, mm-hmm. you're supposed to fix him. But if you apply too much pressure, oh, yes, him uncomfortable, she will snatch him back mm-hmm. right at that moment. And, and any man in here that's that's ever coached a team or or be, been a stepfather, if not your, a father of your own children, mm-hmm. you know that especially when it comes to boys, pressure is extremely yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. I've experienced that with my grandsons. Yeah. And when you're applying that pressure, if somebody can remove the boy because he's uncomfortable, right? You, you've lost the authority, you've yeah. lost the opportunity, so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. We got uh, brother Uru in the house now. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, how you doing, Doc? Uh, enjoying your conversation with the illustrious yes, Ed Moore. As I said <laughs> before, you know, BGS is very much the author of the nomenclature of the manosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he has been very generous in terms of uh, putting together the language of this environment. And I, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. So I, I, I would hope that other brothers acknowledge uh, his contribution in that regard. And uh, mm-hmm. of course, BGS is very generous and very, uh, very uh, unassuming. But but much of what we speak about, how we speak about things and this and the clarity, thing, very much the author of that. So he, he You're borging a bit, uh, Udo. Is that better? Oh, that's oh, a lot that's better. A lot better. Yeah. Is that better? Yeah, a lot better. Yeah, it's a lot better. Can you hear? Can you hear us? Can you hear, can you hear us? I don't think he can hear us. Yeah, Uru, can you hear us? No, I don't think, I think he can hear us. Yeah, yeah might have to go out and come back in. Yeah, but no, he's right. You, you've, you've, you've been the architect behind a lot of this, and you know, and I, and I tell you such, uh, but you don't, you know, you don't, you're, you're pretty humble. So uh, today, you're just gonna have to take it. <laughs> you're gonna have to take it. Does that sound better? Yeah, I was just saying BGS very much has uh, created the language and the nomenclature and mm-hmm. has provided clarity as to what much of this, uh, w- much of what we know to be true, but mm-hmm. could never really kind of clearly identify and describe. Right. Right. Uh, we, we really owe a great debt to gr- to BGS for, for providing some very sort of clear and discreet and very sort of tangible uh, mm-hmm. connections to what we all know to be true, but uh, we could not maybe prior to his presence here really kind of really visualize and, and capture. So 
Yeah, and get and and sometimes even get a, a handle on the scope mm-hmm. of some of the it, things. Indeed, so indeed. So- I mean, even the the village wife concept mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. expands one's uh, understanding mm-hmm. of of what we are and what we've been doing, and and what we've been seeing, what mm-hmm. we've been seeing, what mm-hmm. we've seen amongst our own, what we've observed amongst others what we've observed over time especially those of us who are of a certain age where you know like myself i i have essentially seen four generations mm. of uh of, of ados people you know and the village wife is very prominent amongst us mm. intergenerational mm-hmm. very much so well, give us uh, give us your thoughts on the subject because you clearly <laughs> you've been blown up by comments. <laughs> <laughs> so well, what, you know it, it's interesting. You, you know, I, I'll just kind of speak anecdotally, personally. It, the interesting thing I observed is my wife and mother initially did not care very much for each other. Mm. Okay. Uh, and, and it was in large part because they were from different classes of uh, people. Okay. Uh, my wife, more upper middle class. My my mother, and and thus my or or original or origin family, more lower class. So there were suspicions, uh, recriminations, uh, you know, certain thoughts about you know whether they could trust each other and and <laughs> and what you kind of realize is you're a bargaining chip between <laughs> these <women>. yes <laughs> you know your possession and, but but once they realized they could trust each other mm-hmm. <laughs> then you realize then you realize and and it, you slowly realize that you have been essentially a tool mm-hmm. that that both of them have have utilized for both individual and mutual benefit and interest. Right. Uh, so so between the fox and the wolf, uh, and you're the yes. uh, chicken in between. Who's for dinner, right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and 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 you know, you I think it was I think you were mentioning Dr. Johnson. That uh, in this sort of matrix of mm-hmm. of the covens, yeah. I mean, I I ended up I have over the years done lots of things for sister in laws, for for female cousins, for female friends, mm-hmm. for female friends of friends, mm-hmm. all a part of this matrix of of women, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That they they. They may have grew, grown up together. They right. may have went to high school together. They may, may have went to college together. Of course, they may have been related. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you you do become a community or a communal mm-hmm. husband resource. of sort. Yeah, yeah, right. resource. Yeah, yes, yes. And, and because I, I, you know, I'm I'm talented in certain in some areas, somewhat mm-hmm. conveniently, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certain things I, I might be able to do rather conveniently or easily. They're, they're then able to, through my wife and my mother, 
right. maybe right. secondarily through my sister, yes. sort of leverage those relationships to do things mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily think about as necessarily an encumbrance upon me, mm-hmm. but is of great value to them. Exactly. And very often uh, in, in a way in which might have been much more expensive for yeah. them otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And the thing oh. is, the thing is, uh, you do the favor, but they get the benefit because now that friend or that uh, that uh, relative now owes them a favor that they never uh, they they didn't pay for. You paid for it. Yes, but, but yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't. But you, but you, but, yeah, but you never cash in on that favor. Wow. Well, but 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 what gets tricky is when. Um, it gets tricky because occasionally uh, the women become a little more um, uh, emotionally connected. <laughs> I mean, I mean, sometimes what happens is when you've done something for women mm-hmm. that they value and they need it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe they don't necessarily have. Um, you know, masculine relationships at some point, they 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 will at some point become confused about the the real nature of your relationship, right? Which can at some point cause some consternation. Anyway, it, it, it goes beyond the initial sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's an interesting thing because what it ends what ends up happening is you become a village husband of sorts. But you mm-hmm. don't generally get the benefit of the rewards of being a husband. Um, you know, now some some men take it anyway, but there are repercussions that come from that. But you're not, yeah, supposed, yeah. You're not supposed to. But you are, in a sense, a group of village husband because you're not just providing, you know, physical protection, which you may be called on to do. You're not just providing guidance, which you only get to do in bits and pieces when you're called on to do it. But you're also expected to provide a certain type of emotional stability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, and that's what I was alluding to earlier, where <laughs> at a certain point, when you've had especially ongoing interactions with women who might otherwise be at a uh, emotional deficit of some sort, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the problem becomes where, you know, it, it gets confused as to what your real purposes and, and what I have discovered to be fair what I, uh, if you are assertive enough some of those women will reciprocate in ways that aren't necessarily amorous or, or sexual or whatever mm-hmm. uh, I, I think the mistake that we often make as men is we don't compel them to reciprocate Right. So be- because of our wives and our mothers and mm-hmm. whatever, uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we sort of as a, we, we presume that we're supposed to do certain things, yeah. but very often the women are willing to reciprocate in some sort of way. So I, I would recommend but if you're going to engage though. or have that kind of yeah. relationship with women, that you have something for them to do and for them to give to you as well. Well, wait a minute. But wait a minute. This is why we don't often even think of reciprocation. It's the same answer to a question ML, MLR posed in the comments. It says, do any of you think that there will be a social move to corral these educated lames and high value men into some kind of group for the sole purpose to be exploited for their resources? Oh, yes. 
Now that not a, if they haven't already. Well, no, yeah. we, we, we've already answered that question. It has. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, uh, I think a couple months ago, uh, BGS uh, attorney Dennis Sperling and myself did a show where we were talking about black men being bred. Mm-hmm. Now, the majority of the conversation got into Africa, enslavement. We started to talk about suing African countries. Mm-hmm. And that and I and I allowed that discussion to go that direction because I think it was important. That wasn't what I had initially wanted to talk about. What I was interested in talking about were the ways that black men have been bred in the black community to serve black women's interests. And that speaks to not only MLR's question, it already it speaks to what uh, Uru is bringing up at this point. When you talk about uh, it's re- reciproc- uh, um, uh, reciprocity, when you talk about reciprocation, when you talk about all these, these emotional, physical, material services that men are expected to provide to groups of women, their family and their friends at, at their whim, where we're you know kind of pushed to do these things. The reason we don't think about how to ask for reciprocity, reciprocity doesn't often even cross our minds, is because we've actually been bred to serve. Mm. We've, we've been prepared by mothers, by grandmothers, so on and so forth. So by the time you become you come of age and you become a resource to another gynopotestal framework, another coven, so to speak, you are already primed for a certain type of service. The very idea of a good black man, the way the community defines it, is one of service, most mm-hmm. particularly to women. Mm-hmm. And so when, mm-hmm. when it comes to that service, asking for something back, asking for reciprocity, many of us have not even been socialized on how to do that. Again, I've I've given you guys this example a million times. When I ask men in my class, how many of you guys have dated women with lists of requirements on who they date? Every single man I've had has raised his hand. Mm. When I ask the women, how many of you have dated men that had a list of requirements for the women that he was going to date? I've not yet had one woman raise her hand to Mm. say, that yes, a man required that I be this weight. He required that I speak to him this way, Mm -hmm. required X, Y, and Z, not once. We are not raised to have requirements, to have standards, to have expectations or expect reciprocity. That's not how we've been socialized. We've been socialized to serve, which is why women of other racial groups are starting to find that black men are the most aggressive mm-hmm. and accommodating men because we don't expect from women to, re- to, to, re- to provide us with what we provided or anything in particular. Black men are giving. Black men are, ex- you know... It, you, you've heard the range of it from where the garbage men of the dating network mm-hmm. to where the most progressive. Well, what that translates into is we don't demand anything. Mm-hmm. The reason yeah. we don't demand anything is we've never learned how. Many we of us learn learned from our fathers. We learned from our mothers. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we, in won. this environment, we have explored the topic of epidemiology and genetics. I, I mean, I think to some degree, there is a a self-sacrificial element in our very genetic structure. Mm-hmm. Could be. You know, I, 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 I think it is bred within us when you when you consider how we came here, what we were bred to do, what we were bred to think and be, I don't think I don't think it's a it's, it's a stretch of thought to believe that to some degree within us is a sort of self-sacrificial 
element. And I think it's something that we have to recognize and acknowledge and and deal with as we would, let's say, if we were a diabetic, if you will, type two diabetic, where we have a certain sort of element within us and we have to make do with it and prepare to deal with it and to to. You know what you know what I mean in in terms of look. This is something we are predisposed to self sacrifice. We just are, and because we're presupposed to predisposed uh, to it, these are certain things we must do to prevent ourselves from being disabled because of that self sacrificial inclination. Yeah, yeah, it was been uh, it's been almost like that's why I actually put up that uh, little clip from. Uh, uh, deep charge right, deep space page nine about the uh, Jim Adar, right? Where the, yes, the, yeah, the Jim Adar is very apt to <laughs> black men, yeah, very apt to black men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm out over that. Mess. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is, is that why are you sacrifice yourself because this is the order of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is what I this is what I have been bred to do. This is bred, what I have been bred to be. You've been okay. you've been bred to to, to serve not yes. only white men but also black women. With that catch yourself white, huh? That they catch yourself yeah. white. I, I I I think of us as a combination of the Jimazar and the and Cleon. And Klingon? Okay. Yeah. Sexually, sexually, yeah. we're Klingons. Yeah, <laughs> I think of some combination. The kind, the, the, the concubine is Klingon. The surface is definitely Jim Madonna. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I yeah. almost feel like we're we're a combination of Cleon and uh, Jim Azar, and we should adopt uh, a Vulcan approach to life. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is part of what with this whole online uh, set of discussions has been about shifting mm-hmm. from what we've been trained to do to something yeah. we choose. Because well, what we've been, been trained and never, read. But black men have never chosen. We were, we were told what to do. We've never chosen. So this, this is why I think this moment we're in is, is so incredibly pregnant with opportunities because we are actually being, we're in a position to choose. And that's not something I've seen in my lifetime. I haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah, well, you know, like with the women and, and us being the, the sort of concubines, you know, the sad part, and this is what what I've observed over the years is that, you know, you're you're kind of bred to serve someone who is very much a feat, very much uh largely a child. You know. When you look over the years, you know, when I think about over the years of, of, of doing all these things for, for people, you know, like you said, you know, being the, the, the surf, if you will, mm-hmm. to this coven of women, you realize over the years that, that they, they, are, they are much smaller than you have been led to believe them to be. Right. That, that they're much weaker and and they're certainly much more lonely mm. and alone and vulnerable and all these things that they started to teach you when you were born as a boy 
Mm-hmm. Because understand, you come into this world, most of us come into this world, and we have women dictating everything to us. Yep. And because we have women dictating everything to us, we view them to be something mm-hmm. very powerful, very authoritative, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you become a man and you witness them over time and you've right. seen them make right. myriad mistakes, I mean, just cataclysmic mistakes. Yeah. You realize, man, these people had no business being by themselves. Mm-hmm. They had no, they had no business being by themselves, and and it's they all no, just a facade and a mirage. No, but they have no business being above reproach either. And that's that's true. exactly that's one of the things that we grapple with because when you become a man, uh, and Patrice O'Neill, my favorite comedian, said this actually about his mother. He said, you know, I became a man in essence, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, I became a man when I realized that my mother was my father's woman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, he took her off the pedestal and he, and he saw because he saw in his girl the same kind of behavior he saw in his mother. But it didn't make sense until he looked at his mother mm-hmm. in relation to his father. Now, we can talk about that in terms of, you know, a number of different networks. But I think the importance of what you're saying, Uru, is that. You know, once we begin to, as men, interact with women and see the things we were not taught to see, it changes things. But in, but I would, I would add to that. In the last year and a half, we've started to see this beyond the individual networks, and we've started to see it on a, a collective level. And this is something that I, you know, I didn't think would happen. This, this is a discussion BG and I, BGS and I had a couple of years ago. Yeah, but Dr. Johnson, you know how you see your your mother as a woman mm-hmm. is when you see yourself as your father. Mm-hmm. When you see the world through the eyes of your father, exactly. when you empathize with your father, yes. it's much easier to see your mother yes. as just some other woman. Which much why, easier. Which is why I'm a proponent of men sitting down with their fathers, especially those who have not had, an, had a relationship with them, you need to get the other side of the story. You need right. to hear from him what's going on so you can position yourself differently mm-hmm. and as son and child. I, yeah, I yeah. promise you, when you see yourself through the eye, when you see the world through the eyes of your father, it is much easier to see your mom, your mama, mm-hmm. the, your goddess mama mm-hmm. as, as just human. any other woman. I as promise human. you. And you but you also see how, how uh, what you're actually born into because that's when that, uh, that's mm-hmm. when that, uh, the Ghana Podesto network actually comes into vi- oh man oh yeah I, all the network all the aunts and grandmothers oh yeah and all <laughs> yeah yeah you yeah. see all the coming yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you actually wake up and see the matrix <laughs> well you know it, it's interesting I mean because look I my my parents had issues and and there was abuse and you know I had certain feelings about my father but it was only after i had conversations with, with one of my aunts as well as one of my uncles one of some of the few uh senior relatives that i still have where they put in context things that i could not see as a child and it did enable my being able to empathize more with my father and then view how the behavior of my mother not from you know my mother who i love and fed but somebody who was supposed to be the wife of somebody 
mm-hmm. and did not necessarily succeed in that way. Well, so it's a very different kind of perspective of why. But you have to do it. You have to do it because, and this is why I go back to Patrice. If you mm-hmm. don't, you can become your wife's son. Yes. Yes. If you have yes. not assumed your father's position, you know, in yourself, you'll go from woman to woman to woman. And all mama. Be mama. Yeah. Yeah. Mama to mama to mama. And, and, they, and black women are very good at playing that role of mother. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In, fact, in fact, they're taught. In fact, I was, uh, what was that? I was in, uh, I was in uh, Costco. No, I was in a 99 cent store, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was a family walked in. It was uh, two, 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 two teenage boys, uh, a girl, and uh, and the mother, right? Mm-hmm. And the 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 the, uh, the girl, the, the teenage girl, was uh, and was bossing around the uh, the boys like they were she, like she was a mother. Yes. And I had looked at it and said, "Whoa, she she's mighty young to be their mother. They look kind of old to be to have, for her to have born. She must be uh, have uh, good genes because." Uh, She's obviously the mother. She actually ordered them around what to do, right? So she must be the mother, right? So I saw the mother walking up. I said, "Oh, yep. okay. This, this is this is a this is a gynocracy in training." That's that's uh is that is that Crooklyn? Which one is it? Um, oh man, which one is Spike's movie about the little girl coming into her womanhood? Oh, that was Crooklyn. Yes, that was Crooklyn. That's what you saw. Yeah, she assumed her mother's position as mommy, as mommy, even to her father to some extent. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, you can definitely see it, you know. But that that becomes the necessary transition that men need to make. Yeah, you also you you know the you know because I was actually watching a scene from Moesha, right? Uh, uh, that uh, she, her and her her and her uh, stepmother had a big alter, you know, big big falling out because mm-hmm. she was used to playing the wife and mother to mm-hmm. her to her father and her brothers. Mm-hmm. Because of, because her mother had died and she was upset that she wasn't up cooking breakfast and and, and giving orders and stuff like that and, and the stepmother actually jumped in and took that role. She mm-hmm. there was actually a clash between them. So what you're saying is absolutely right. Yeah, it's a necessary transition that we have to make. Um, <clears throat> and and many of us aren't taught how to do that. We're really not taught how to do that, which is why I think these discussions taking place on social media are so important. Because they're 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 marking a transition for men who are establishing new networks, right? You know, if we didn't have fathers in our home, you know, now you got these brothers online mm-hmm. that you can actually listen to as surrogate fathers, you know, and and actually kind of replace those elements that are missing. And that goes for men, you know, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, whatever missing pieces you have, you have to be able to pull from wherever you can. And now there's a network. We never had a network before. That's the part that gets me. We never had but, a network. But, but it, this is where this is where I, I'm always my, my pessimism rests with the fact that the women get the boys, that mm-hmm. the damage is done mm-hmm. very early mm-hmm. at the it very is. beginning, and and we're at some point performing some son, some kind of rescue mission, yes. invariably. You know, that the damage is already done and we're hoping that, you know, we can we can terraform, you yeah. know, these males into men after mm-hmm. they have been fashioned into something else from birth, from yeah. birth. I mean, yeah. they come into the world and the first person they're looking at are an assortment of females. 
mothers, grandmothers, aunts, female teachers. You know, I, I, it, it, it's it's like some. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying I, I, I feel any sense of hopelessness, but it, it, you're we're definitely it's a it's always sort of a losing kind of battle. Mm. Well, because because, you know, the first what, seven or eight years. I mean, those are make or break years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in our environment, they, they have 90% of us in those first seven or eight years. Yeah. So you're talking about competing and growing competitive warrior champion or whatever men in an environment in which they get them at birth. And yeah. get them in the most formative years, and they dictate how like the men that are available are subject to be replaced. They're disposable. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. We yes. are disposable, replaceable pieces. Those, those men them. have no authority. There's, no. they're all subject to be by virtue of the state. Yeah, yeah. And so that so no matter how strong or alpha a cat may be. When mm-hmm. you can see he can be replaced, mm-hmm. you can see who gets to who has the power to replace him. Mm-hmm. It's not just the mother. Again, it's the network. The network. When you see and, that, empowered by the state, exactly. Yeah, empowered by the state, and and, exactly. and, and anytime black men try to f- form a network, uh, it's ultimately um, actually infiltrated or destroyed by the gynocracy. Because yeah. even the Black Panthers. Uh, when they formed, even though it's supposed to be a, a male-led uh, uh, organization, I would say at least 60-70% of the women actually uh, uh, of, of the actually members are actually female. Mm-hmm. So it yeah. was actually it would maybe have been a male face but right. it was actually a female run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and whatever networks we tried to establish, we never had the, the force of state mm-hmm. behind us. And that is a trump card for real. Mm-hmm. That is a trump card for real because with state comes coercive power. You got police, you got child protective services, you got family court. You can be, you know, alpha male macho all day long. Mm-hmm. You are dealing with an institute, a set of inst- interlocking institutions mm-hmm. that work in her favor. Right. It's it's in fact the uh, the biggest opponent of uh, all male uh, black school, a single sex education, are mm-hmm. not. Uh, not white men, you know, because George Bush was all in for uh, fulfilling what uh, Monaghan put out about uh, making uh, single sex education for boys not mandatory, but actually more available. It was the black women that fought it. Yeah, mm-hmm. because they weren't in charge of what we were talking about. Exactly. And the way you can tell that they were they wanted to be in charge is the complaints they had were rooted around you're not doing this for the girls. Yes. That was the most consistent complaint you had against these schools that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You're not doing the same thing for girls. They never asked if girls needed it. Yes. Girls didn't need it. They were actually doing, you know, they were doing well without it. Yes. But you can't have anything for the boys, even if the boys need it, without it being for the girls, which really, the way I interpreted that was really about uh, power. Mm-hmm. Well, but in in a feminist society, you must always consider the girls. Uh-huh. So, so you're, you're, the paradigm is such that it is nearly impossible to develop any sort of 
pedagogical programming that favors boys right. in a feminist society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you 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 cannot address issues specifically to specific to boys, black mm-hmm. or otherwise, right. in a society that says we must favor females. We must cater to, must be concerned about females. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's imbu- it's imbu- imbued in the actual social, political, governmental system. Right. We have a system that it, it's almost impossible to address issues involving black boys. Right. It is virtually impossible because of the politics, because of the government, because of the policy that is scripted into the actual statutes and and in uh, judicial precedent. Uh, you know, and, until black men really take on mm-hmm. feminism itself at yeah. its actual, you know, sort of doctoral level or, or doctrine level at mm-hmm. its court level at mm-hmm. its um you know statutory level at right. its judicial president level until we take on particularly uh intersectionality for example mm-hmm. there is no remedy there is no remedy well part of the part of the difficulty with that is we're not only primed to support it in our schools But even if you were to talk about a pro-Black nationalist space, we are extremely feminist in our orientation in regard to that. Mm -hmm. So even in a pro-Black conscious space, we're still primed to to prioritize, you know, the feminine impulse or perspective or whatnot. That's already. So you have multiple layers of that in place. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to give BGS credit for something that actually gave me uh, not only an understanding of it, but hope a couple of years ago. Because BGS was the first that I heard online to talk about the impact, the, the impact of the environment. Mm. And I think what we're seeing in the last year is that all of those institutions that have been fairly ironclad in the last five or so decades have started to demonstrate a buckling of sorts. Mm-hmm. And what happens when those institutions that have propped up these structures that we're grappling with, the gynocracy, you know, uh, the gynopotestal framework, when you start to really look at the institutions that undergird these things start to buckle and men somehow become a priority again, the only reason we're a priority is because they buckled. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when Trump was sending out food boxes, man. All, all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. All of a sudden, people got real, you know, the conversation changed. And, and my and my theory was that, you know, many black women were pushing for Biden not only because of the symbolic victory of, of Harris as the, as the VP, but in hopes that Biden was going to restore that era of stability that supported these gynocratic frameworks. And when that starts to fall apart, as it is continuing to do now, especially with this eviction moratorium kind of happening, what we're starting to see is a shift to men. This is, don't, this is why Kevin Samuels can break a million subscribers. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, you know, no disrespect to Kevin. It has no, I'm not saying he's, he, but I'm saying the reason it can happen is not because men are on board. And we've been talking about this. Kevin pulls what he's talking about from the network of brothers who've been talking about it. Mm-hmm. But it's become a priority because women are listening. And they wouldn't have dared listen to a Kevin Samuels two years ago. It's the shift in the environment that's made it happen. 
So when we start talking about these structures and, and, and how well they've been aligned with the state, what happens when the state withdraws its support? Yeah. Then what? Yeah. Yeah. Then uh, we're back to good old fashioned uh, patriarchy. If it pulls. Well, but, but the question I, you know, that, that, (laughs) that don't work. And maybe you guys can enlighten me, but I haven't seen any major changes in statute judicial precedent that particularly favor men being enabled to to be effective with patriots. I haven't witnessed that. What what comes first? Uh, uh, There's three points, right? It's called uh, environmental change, behavioral change, and then legislative change. Which which one thing do you think comes first? No, I, I don't. I, I agree. That's that's the typical order of things. Mm-hmm. My my concern is is whether you know you you, you reference Kevin Samuels where mm-hmm. my concern is men getting into situations in which yeah. they presume themselves to be effective, potent patriarchs, but yeah. but the status quo of the actual legal system, the actual judicial system, mm-hmm. still is very gyno gynocratic that's my concern oh yeah well yeah that's 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 called the risk you know if yeah. if uh but the thing is if the environment changes and it, you know there are three there's three parts of that risk okay when something changes your risk profile also changes so you know uh five years ago it'd be extremely risky because uh, there were all kind of bailouts and in in parachutes and safety nets for those women to go to what happens when the when the net starts to get frayed in the environment and, and, and really yeah. i can sum it up i can sum right. everything up really in one thing mm-hmm. and that is whether when there's an argument do the police appear at your door that's really it <laughs> I, I mean it, it, it's really look all, all the dealings between men and women mm-hmm. especially black men and black women can be okay. summed up as to whether or not police appear at your door during an argument, well, the thing they will appear, but if is she is, is likely to call during an argument? In, in, well, in but even if even if an emotional moment she calls because mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. can get emotional, mm-hmm. but the question is, will the police come, and then how will they respond when they come? No, oh, they, mm-hmm. they'll. I mean, they'll respond how they respond. The thing is, is that. Uh, and in the most moment, she might call, but how many times is she going to call? Because you might leave, and then, and then, good luck finding another chair, because the chairs aren't abundant. Mm. That's true, and that's the problem. So you'd be like the, uh, you know, be like the mother in uh, in Las Vegas that got the. Uh, she had to get a GoFundMe, but the thing is, she had three daughters, and she had sold sold all her furniture and everything else to uh, to keep to keep her uh, kids sheltered. And and fed, and she was down to her her last few weeks, and and she was crying on TV. It's only because the the TV the, the TV news station actually visited her that she got uh, bailed out. But thing is, she's not the only one. And how many women are going to get bailed out that way? Yeah, right, right. That's right. that's, that's going to be that. Missing it. There was a there was a recent report. I was trying to pull it up. Of uh, of yet another killing of a husband mm-hmm. that was really tied to 
a man who was trying to leave. Mm, yeah, COVID breaker. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in honor, in honor of BGS, you know, because I really want him to uh, appreciate that. No one. I really want BGS to kind of go in a little bit on this concept of COVID breakups and how it is tied. How it how it is tied to you know this the, what we're seeing now in terms mm-hmm. of our need what you just explained. Um, I'm going to pull this up. Give me a moment. Um, because I think it's important to the conversation. Uh, where'd she go? Oh, there it is. Oh, shoot. I just pulled it in. Oh, there we go. I, I got to add it. All right. So here we go. Remember this BGS? I remember that. I still, I'm still laughing at it. Now, th- now, this woman has wrecked her own car. Yeah. With her boyfriend in it. And, and he's still in it. He's still in the car. And they're still arguing. Now, she wrecked the car because he was upset at him from his bed. I think he had to do with another one. Bro, you good, my man? Now. Now, he's still in the car. Yeah. The car's upside started. down. Yeah. My car fucked up at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. This is not what he said. My car fucked up at the end of the day. Yeah. So, he's still doing it. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, now, now she turned over her own car. Bro, you IG? You need help, man? Yeah. Now he's upside down in the car, still arguing with it. Yeah, this is what we talking about. No, I saw that shit too. I was right, they was right behind me. So she's mad. Because he said something, and she she said that you don't give any, you don't care about me. Yeah. So she crashed her car with him in it. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the COVID breakups, bro. Okay. Uh, basically, okay. Uh, the COVID breakups is is, uh, is when uh, either she gets caught cheating, or she's upset, or whatever the reason that he's getting ready to just punch out a relationship and leave. Mm-hmm. And she knows that if he leaves, the odds are getting another man or man to do what he's been doing are pretty slim, especially in this environment, right? Mm-hmm. And she needs him to be there because if not, she could be on the street, she could uh, she could be hungry, she could be broke, whatever it is. But he's actually uh, the uh, part of the main support of her lifestyle. So if he leaves, her lifestyle is going to take a serious hit. And especially in this environment where you can't work or you're underemployed or whatever, he can't leave. And she can't allow him to leave. So she'd rather see him dead or injured rather than him leaving. And you see a lot of this where you see guy. Doc has just basically um, actually uh, chronicled, like, I don't know how many of these COVID breakups where the, where the wife or the girlfriend has actually killed the man mm-hmm. during an argument. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of stuff happens all the time. He, he, he might have been ready to leave, you know. He might have been ready. He sounds like a, a pookie ready to leave, ready to bounce. Mm-hmm. And, and she's upset because uh, she's probably not going to get another man. So she she wrecked a, a, a fairly new car to make a point. 
to make a point. Right. She probably meant to kill him. <laughs> and, and these arguments have been getting more and more intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the one of the most consistent threads that I'm starting to find is that they they include men leaving. Mm-hmm. You know? So whether you're talking about um, you know, they include the the potential of men leaving and and withdrawing their their resources, material, and and other otherwise mm-hmm. emotional uh, stability and, and support. That the threat of losing all of that is leading people leading to these really extreme situations. Hell, you can even talk about Lamar Odom. Mm-hmm. Right? And his and his what was it, his baby mama mm-hmm. wants four hundred thousand dollars in child support. Yeah, I'm back to yeah for a nineteen year old and a twenty three year old. Yeah, this we're, we're we're talking about the same thing. It keeps coming back to what happens when men are all of a sudden <laughs> in need <laughs> and the, and the stability that was once there uh, is starting to erode. It's starting to come under question, under fire. Um, and there's a lot of extreme reaction. Right. And and more than ever, well, I'm seeing women killing their kids. I'm seeing it, well, it's, all- it's like BGS has said. Women are more acutely aware of substantial environmental changes than men are, mm-hmm. and and what they are observing over the last you know better part of a well for years, but especially the last year and a half is there there is a substantial change, and mm-hmm. there's a great deal of uncertainty and when a man who can provide any sort of resources whether it's financial Mm. emotional certainly sexual sexual goes away that that is a substantial threat to or uh, instability to a woman's environment or stability of her environment Mm -hmm. And, and i don't think men because we we generally are better prepared to go into the world and and fashion some sort of control or or make our way in it to some degree or if necessarily if necessary change it or whatever i don't think we are as acutely aware of environmental change or the impact of environmental change as women are no and and that's why you have women uh, uh, behaving in these outsized ways because there, it, it's almost like it's almost like if you were suddenly dropped off on Mars, so to speak. That that's what's going on with a with a lot of women to a certain degree. They mm-hmm. they are in a situation where they don't really know what the fuck to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and a lot of that it comes really in the way we're we're socialized too, because men men don't ultimately expect anyone coming to their rescue. No. If no. If, if you got your last five dollars and you know you have nothing else coming, you know the place you're living in is about to be you're about to be evicted. You know your car is about to be repossessed. Mm-hmm. You don't expect anyone to come in and save no. you. You don't expect a check. You don't expect a government order. It's not now. If it happens, it's icing on the cake. It's great, but it isn't an expectation for men. Men, men, more often than not, you know, can kind of. And the possibility of your death Mm -hmm. on the streets, yes, is something that every black, (laughs) every black man has Mm -hmm. thought about the possibility of him dying on the streets. Everyone, absolutely. You you don't expect to be protected from that at any point. 
So, so as we start to see more of these kinds of cases, I don't know if you guys have seen some of these. Killed boyfriend, uh, father, child, another one, right? What, mm. what is that fight over? BGS beyond. It, it, we see the we see the title. PA mm-hmm. woman killed boyfriend who father child with another woman. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. that really about? It's, it's about possession, about mm-hmm. possession of that man. Mm-hmm. And about and he, loss of whatever resources that whatever man. Whatever resources. Right. And he probably told him I'm gonna. I probably told him I was getting ready to leave. I'm leaving for you for another woman. Yeah. So there have been a number of these cases, and they're happening more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the one that I think you showed this last week with the woman uh, trying to run over her, her boyfriend, yeah, three times with a car in, in Baltimore. <laughs> so this be, this is becoming, uh, you know, it used to be like once a month. I think it's once now. Now it's like bi-weekly You get these stories in, right, Doc? Yeah, pretty much. It, it's been constant, and, and brothers have been sending them to me from all over, and and I just get to a point where you know. I'm laughing like, yep, COVID breakups. But <laughs> but I will say, unless unless they, they've included kids, and that's been that's been the difficult part to some of these stories is mm-hmm. you know, some of the things that we're finding uh that are clearly a, a, a result of mental illness, but also the stress of the environment. Mm-hmm. Right? The stress of the environment and how that's playing into a lot of this. Um, and, and that's what I've been doing a number of videos on because it, it's it seems more prevalent more than I've seen in a long time. This, I mean, um, just to give a little update, some of you may have seen, um, let me see this story here. Right. I don't know. But you, you saw this one. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this one, uh, Uru and BGS. Um, this is the one that uh, she had her, her nephew and her niece stuffed in her trunk. Mm, yeah. Both yeah. children died. Yeah, that that's 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 very common to uh, uh, economic stress when you can't take care of a child. Well, she, I, you know, I think there were some other issues going on with her mm-hmm. too, and her mother came forward. I think her mother or grandmother came forward and was saying that she was trying to get CPS to take the kids before the aunt left with them. But the difficult part to this too is you also find out in this article that the kids have never been registered to into school, mm-hmm. never, right. So more, yeah, they'd never been registered. So nobody was missing them. You know oh, what I mean? and, and, Dr. Uh, Johnson, in, in mm-hmm. any of the stories or whatever you have, may have encountered regarding this story, any reference at all to those children, father? No, I haven't yeah. seen anything reported. Yeah. Whenever I, I hear particularly about uh, child neglect, especially mm-hmm. involving uh, black boys, the very first question I ask is, "Where's the father?" Yeah, he's and, and 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 that all that's almost always absent of any, you know, acknowledgement of any of these stories at all. So mm-hmm. going back to the whole notion of the you know village wife and mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I, I, look, if you're gonna have an environment, if you're gonna have a culture where where children can be starved and and children can be suffocated, and children can be locked in in uh, in the trunk of vehicles and whatever, and and all and all every all kind all manner of discussion can be had about them, and there's never once any question about those children. Father, to me, that says all of what I need to know yeah. about. 
right what's going on well and it also speaks to something that we're also not it's not uh, considered cool to talk about we we're, we're supposed to talk about men uh abandoning responsibility right um, you know, being incapable or immature and not being able to, handle, but we're not supposed to talk about men that have been run off, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. run off because she has used like uh, Uru brought up earlier, the power of the state to control mm-hmm. them. I told you guys a couple months ago, young man called me and said, yep. Yeah. He said, just what you said happened, happened. He said, a boy of mine who was an ex-con got sent to jail mm-hmm. because his wife made up. She, she, she falsely accused him of abusing her because she was mad that he came home late. She yep. was using the state. She was using the police to control his behavior and punish him for not acquiescing. See, nobody talks about that dynamic and that part of the, the, the way the family is structured in regard to women controlling men, particularly black men. Nobody wants to talk about that side of it. So when we, we start to look at fathers in marital situations, pulling back from families from the 1960s to now, we, we we talk about abandonment, but we don't talk about men being run off. Yeah. We include that in the dynamic. It changes the nature of the conversation. And now you have accountability on the table for not just men, but for women. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that has a direct well, impact on the back. And, and that's why, you know, as I said earlier, you know, I'm, I'm very circumspect about a lot of the talk about, you know, what needs to be done. Because, I mean, I agree with you generally, BGS, that eventually the law will at some point, presumably, catch up with the change of the environment and change of people. But I also think that that many black men will be casualties in the interim of time. And Mm -hmm. and, and, and to the degree there is no change in the law or courts or whatever, I, I think a lot of men are going to uh, of good natured, good spirit and good spirited men yeah. uh, are going to get caught up in Me attempting too. to try to maybe rescue or whatever, save or do the mm-hmm. right thing or whatever with women and children. Um, I, I'm I'm very concerned, at least in the in the short or midterm as to black men in particular being casualties in there. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the whole thing. There would be the front, the front line, you know, uh, I remember back in the, uh, in the seventies, you know, a lot of the boomers were front line for divorce. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. you know, a lot of boomers went through the stuff so that generation X and millennials and Z's could learn. Yeah. You know, yeah. We were the cautionary tale. We were the cautionary tale. Yeah. So we're going to have the same thing. <laughs> You know, when it was we're, you know going getting divorced and and you know child graped and you know yeah. all, all that stuff yeah. you know the millennials you know uh one of the reasons i guess why they're so you know more than half of of certain you know groups of of us don't have any children or whatever at all mm-hmm. is because of the lessons because of the painful lessons learned mm-hmm. by yeah, yeah. boomers and yeah. and older yeah, yeah, I've had uh, I had a I had more uh, compatriots than I can coworkers and compatriots than I can name. Uh, had their life shortened because of a because of a, a child support and alimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of brothers, man, I can name at least ten that died in their forties uh, because mm-hmm. of child, excessive child support. Mm-hmm. You're my suicide. Mm-hmm. Or you talking about what? 
No, 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 no. Just uh, stress. No, just yes. Suicide. Yeah, no. Uh, good Lord. Uh, one brother, he was younger than me, right? Young, vibrant, uh, DJ, uh, happy-go-lucky, man. And he got hit two out to water wedlock births and excessive child support. And he went from a vibrant young man to old and gray, man, within a matter of like 10 years. Didn't even recognize the guy. Just, mm -hmm. just stress. Well, well, you know, you work a job yeah. and you earned, you know, what, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month a week. Right. And you yeah. take home 15, 20 bucks. Yeah. yeah. That, that'll kill you. Yeah. That'll kill you. You know, I had a discussion in one of my comment sections on uh, Facebook about a, a couple weeks ago. We were talking about Dr. Dre's divorce. And I had a feminist come in there and say, well, all you guys, are, you know, she's all the traditional, you're dusty, you're this, you're that. But she said, why are you worried about what millionaires are doing? This None of this affects you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. So Dre can lose, you know, however much a year, but he yeah. still knows where his next meal is coming from. Right. What happens when you make $25,000 a year? Yeah. Then what? You lose yeah. half the well, $25,000. I, I look at it from a basic power standpoint, and that is if, if someone of Dr. Dre's stature and accomplishment and wealth can be treated that way, Mm -hmm. yeah. Then God help the rest of us. Right, that's true. <laughs> so, 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 if you ask me, why am I concerned about Dr. Dre? My, if I, especially if I were a Californian, mm -hmm. uh, Doc, Dr. Uh, Johnson, mm -hmm. and and BGS, you know, if, if I were a Californian, there's no way in hell I get married in California. No way. <laughs> no way. Right, right. There's no way I get married and live with a wife in California. Because like I said, if that can happen to Dr. Dre, somebody who is effectively a billionaire, mm -hmm. I know what's coming for me. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have to uh you have to negotiate out. So yeah. and there's many brothers that, that got, you know, uh alimony raped. That's like a lot of brothers yeah. in California aren't getting married. I can't blame them. Yeah, and, and you're effectively enslaved for all of your productive years. Mm. You yeah. know, and and, and it's, you're enslaved to this person for whom you may have had maybe some casual relationship 10, 15, 20 years, well, 10, 15 or whatever years ago, and this person is in your pocket. Mm -hmm. See, that's the part that we don't talk. This strange person yeah. Is in your pocket for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, at least. In in your financial business. Yeah. At any least. any kind of significant business decision, career decision you make is, is being impacted by this strange person. I said uh, there's there's uh there's people that are uh, there's men that are living in their cars that are in their sixties, uh, 70s, and eighties still paying back child support oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah for, for a child that was born in the 70s or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i definitely uh i have a stepfather who's grappling with that mm -hmm. seven in his 70s with cancer still paying child support for a for a, a, a stepbrother i mean I he's strong to just be alive to still be alive dr johnson because mm -hmm. because a lot of men would have been it was would have up. have would have succumbed just from the mental anguish of being in that position 
at that age and, and then on top of that dealing with the physical uh enormity of of illness itself he, he's a remarkable man to still be alive but you know that the appreciate that mlr and, and also mr wiley uh, brother wiley who uh, gave a generous donation earlier appreciate that as well but the twist to to it though is I've heard something from him I've never I've never heard before, and he's he's not going to he's not he won't commit suicide, but he's as he put it he's good to go. Yeah, he's he's embraced the notion of, of death. Yeah, he's yeah. completely indifferent. He's like I'm hey, hey I'm ready, mm-hmm. and and if they wanted they've been talking about wanting to you know treat his cancer, he's like no nah, I'm good. Yeah, really okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that, and that don't surprise me. I, mm-hmm. I I think there are lots of men like him mm-hmm. who are in situ- who are in onerous situations like that. That yeah, they're not going to actually uh, right. do the act themselves. Mm-hmm. But but they 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 definitely embrace psychically or psychologically. Yes. They embrace their eventual demise. Sure. Yeah. I don't think that's I don't think that's an uncommon thing at all. No. Not not at all. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um let me see here. Well, um we're coming we're at we're just past the two hour mark. So But welcome to the Terradome. I appreciate that. Welcome to the Brotherhood uh, uh um Roger Report. What's up, man? Got a Roger Report. What's up? Yeah. Hey Roger. Yeah, and, and Roger, man, they've been uh, food fights in Rogers. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've been in the middle of some of those. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wondering who threw the first plate, Uru. That's who I'm wondering about. They're they coming, you know, they coming for those old guys over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. I did a video on uh, on uh, Russell Wilson. All of a sudden, the food fight. Man, I, I I cannot understand why Russell Wilson, of all people, is sort of like the 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 pivot point of the generational divide between you know yeah black men but okay he said okay <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it, I can tell you that, that there were definitely some women that were upset with uh, the interview VGS uh, uh, put up there with Russell and Sierra because usually when I I've heard Russell and Sierra discuss Sierra is the point of conversation right. And it's about what she achieved, who she seduced, who she got, you know, how the, it, but once you saw that interview, you couldn't walk away with the same kind of dynamic you thought was going on. Mm-hmm. Russell, I, I, that's why I said in <laughs> Russell's chat, I mean, Russell is basically using Sierra. Mm-hmm. He's, he, and he not only is using Sierra, he's using Future's kid. <laughs> in a Damn. sense, yes. Damn. For marketing, you know, and, and you know, as much as you know, it's the convenient kind of you know, steered, you know, sort of generalization of you know, stepdaddy and and future and whatever. Look, Russell is using Sierra, Russell is using that kid, Russell is using future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you know, he's he, it's an exchange, you know, he's given a good lifestyle and and whatnot in exchange for it, so it's a fair trade, so. You said it's a fair trade. It's a fair trade. I mean, yeah. the, the, for Sierra, it's, a, it's more than a fair trade. You know, with, <laughs> with things, he, he, out, he outlined what he wanted, and basically, you know, he knew what he was doing. 
Yeah. No, R- Russell will be running for president in about 15 years. Make no <laughs> mistake. No, I, I, look, I've be- observed Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just about certain that that will happen. 10, 15, 20 years, he'll be running for president. Okay. No yeah. no doubt about it. Well, he's, he's got that lineage because he is Boulay, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The problem is he doesn't he doesn't fall into the the typical role in the gynocracy that black men are supposed to fall in. No, uh, ironically enough, just the future kind of does. He does. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he, he's a, 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 the, the concubine. Yeah, he's a concubine. He's a breeder. He's yeah. a breeder. He's a, He's a breeder. Basically, he is he is the epitome of a concubine. He's a concubine yeah. by by impregnating all these women, and then he's the surf by paying off the uh, child support for eight. Went for eight. Well, not well. Minus Sierra now because Russell Wilson told him to cut her off, cut him off, and mm-hmm. with, with the other seven children, he's fathered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and even like that move where like you know that that's kind of, like I said. I mean, he's using all of them. Mm-hmm. He's using all of them to elevate himself, mm-hmm. you know, and it'll be interesting to see how Sierra responds to it over time, because Sierra got into it probably thinking she was going to be this. And she probably learned that Russell got her being that. Mm-hmm. And Russell also got her kid being that. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess as long as she gets what she wants and. And uh, yeah. and and the kid will grow up with some kind of privilege by being under his tutelage. So yeah, yeah, so, his name and his association, you know, yeah. him the Super Bowl. I mean, so it's a win-win for everybody if 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 uh, Sierra herself, in particular, can keep her gynocratic ego in check. Mm-hmm. If she can do that, she's good. Mm-hmm. And that was the interesting thing about the interview because you saw her smitten. You saw her in a position of submission. She wasn't trying to be in a dominant position. It wasn't even. It didn't even seem to be part of the the you know her thought process, which is not acceptable to the gynocracy. Whenever I see women who are advocating for being in a position uh, that Sierra's in. Mm-hmm. One of the things they often talk about is being attacked by other black women mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. that's perceived as being weak. You know what I mean? That's perceived as being weak. It's, and I've and I've seen that myself in, in, you know, in private relationships and whatnot. Women in a position like her who are willing to play out a certain role will be attacked by other women for doing so. It doesn't fit with the, the kind of culture we see in the gynocracy. Well, here, several things. First of all, um, uh, Sierra's or origin family is a little different from your stereotypical uh, gynocrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I understand, her father was military, may have even been been commissioned officer military. So mm-hmm. probably on some level, she has been bred to accept masculine order and dominance to some degree. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that Russell exhibits that, particularly maybe in their private life, uh, that may be what you're what you're seeing publicly in terms of her, her submission or, or apparent submission. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a part of it. Also, um, yeah, I, I think I think Russell Wilson is grossly underestimated. 
Yeah. I, I think a lot of brothers are looking at him from him being part of the gynocracy. And, yeah. and and there's no way that he could be in charge of that relationship because because men, well you know uh, it, no matter how much money he makes or how much fame he's got uh, they always say that Russell Wilson is in uh, his balls or in Sierra's purse mm. and that's what they believe they always believe no matter what they see it doesn't matter what comes out of his mouth they still don't believe it she yeah. somehow she tricked Russell Wilson into marrying her and taking on the baby taking on a relationship and he's playing the simp role. But in actuality, it might be future that's actually been beneficial to the gynocracy more so than Russell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. he's a rebel, but he's not helping the gynocracy because he's out there, you know, uh, seeding all these children and running off. So, in, in mm-hmm. their mind, <laughs> and he and he he can afford to pay for it. Yeah, and can be held accountable legally for it, and doesn't seem to care. It doesn't seem to care. Yeah, at least not now. Yeah, but I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to thank both of y'all for coming in. I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm hoping we can actually expand this discussion because uh, I think this whole notion of the village concubine, the, the you know the village uh, husband, mm-hmm. is uh, is something we've actually been seeing for some time now, um, and and it's something we continue to be offered. But I don't know if we put that in proper context yet. We, we've never we never explored it. You're about the first one actually coined the phrase, even though we've all been experienced it. But thing is, oh, it's, been, it's, it's been uh, unconscious. In other words, uh, how do you bring something into consciousness? You give it a name, and yeah. so now, so now I think men will start looking for it because I don't care who you are. Basically, uh, you can be a little boy that cuts grass, and your mommy will loan you out to a friend. <laughs> can you cut? Can you cut? The, can you cut Miss So? Oh, she's old and she's she's affirmed. Can you go cut her grass for her? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or are you going to the store? Can you drop by this by Miss Such and Such and Such? Yeah. And so you're loaned out. Yeah. One time, your little boy. Well, the the only the, the only thing I I would say if you're gonna be that guy, and I I, I myself have definitely been that guy. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't Everybody don't be is. opposed to the prospect of reciprocation. Yes, that that very often these women are more open to to some form of expression of, of gratitude and reciprocation than you might presume them to yeah, be. Have them, have, them have something birthday. for them to give or do or be for right. you. Right, make them send you a plate. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 You know, because very, very often they, and especially those who don't have relationships with productive mm-hmm. men, very often on some level, they want some worthwhile man to tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. Very often they do. Not all. And, and there's a definitely a generational aspect of it to it, too. I mean, I would say, especially amongst the older women, definitely have something for them, them to do. Because they, they know, generally, they're supposed to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. So so have something for them to do. Have something for them to give. Ha, ha, make it clear to them that, that you've earned a marker with them. Mm-hmm. And that at some point, you're going to cash in that marker. If you don't, your 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 spouse, your girlfriend will exactly, or maybe your your children will. At some point. I mean, yeah. well, no, I mean, like I do things. For example, just use an example. I 
I have a neighbor who is a, a widow and uh, she's been a widow for a while mm -hmm. and she has over the years done lots of things for my daughter, mm -hmm. you know, for my younger daughter. Uh, mm -hmm. My older daughter kind of moved on fairly early in life, but my younger daughter, but she did lots of things because of things that I did for her. Okay. Right. You know, her helping her with her garbage or helping her with her, her lawn or whatever. Mm -hmm. So she, she, she still does do things for my younger daughter, you know, still mm -hmm. does send her care packages, even okay. though this girl has, has moved on and you know, got her own apartment or whatever. So, mm -hmm. um, Make sure you have a reciprocal relationship with these women. More often than not, especially the older women, it's the younger chicks that are just so ill-bred and and the whole, mm. you know, the whole sugar. I mean, it, it's the younger women where it's going to be more difficult, maybe, to reciprocate. But from the older women, make sure they earn what you do for them. Mm. Okay. Well, like I said, I, I appreciate both of you uh, coming through. BGS, give us uh, some closing thoughts on your behalf. What do you think about this? I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, you guys write down that term, Ghana Podesto, okay? Because uh, you're going to hear it a lot more often. I've been waiting for Doc to actually introduce it because you know I'm going to use that, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm going to use that, that $100 word, especially <laughs> with some of these, these more learned feminists. And also the, the, the village concu surf because that is a real thing just like the, they want to become a village wife uh, mm -hmm. the village wives need the village concu surfs yeah. we, we can abscond from, from accountability and uh, everything is just everything you know everybody takes care of the kids the husbands are replaceable and disposable or the boyfriends or the men in the family and and, and you know, my generation, you know, we really understood what disposable fathers were. Yeah, truth is, I know. I want you to pronounce it again. Oh, gynopotestal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I mean, I guess the brothers gave it a shorthand. They called it a coven. <laughs> <laughs> it is a coven. Yeah, yeah when, he, when he when Doc first said it, I said, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> but you know, PhDs that throw out words, man, like it's like a common language. You got to stop him in the tracks and man, spell that. <laughs> got to write that down. <laughs> got to write that down. <laughs> but it's 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 what we have to deal with, man. I think it's the evolution of the black family. And as much as we've been talking about that in the manosphere, it, I, you know, I think there's another there's another stage to it. It hasn't ended at the fallout and breakdown of the nuclear family, it evolved into the village, mm -hmm. you know, and I think BGS nailed it when he brought in the concept of the African concept of the, of the village wife and applied it to black America. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, now we got to talk about the village husband mm -hmm. and, and then this village model we're moving to um, removes accountability on one end, but it definitely undermines masculinity and femininity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it leaves men, most particularly leaves black men vulnerable mm -hmm. to just being used and passed on. And passed on. And they can't have this this uh, this uh, Ghana protest or what they call it, what Dan Stewart calls a African uh, kinship network without the acquiescence of the men. Yes. And we've been bred mm -hmm. to acquiesce. Mm -hmm. We've not called our own breeding into question. And that was the nature of, of the question I was asking a few months ago. 
but I'm putting it on the table now. When you talk about being bred to serve, this is what we're looking at. If you've been if you've been bred to serve by your mothers, your grandmothers, your aunts, uh, and and just like BGS and Uru has given examples of, and myself of being passed on mm-hmm. to the next generation of women. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your mother passed you on to your wife, and you know, in in, in, in that fashion, that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You've been groomed, and you've been you've been trained, and like I said earlier, like a horse. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Let me know if he, he if he's acting right. <laughs> well, what is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I remember my my own grandmother. Uh, God rest her soul. Asked my wife a while back. You know, and basically asked my wife, "Am I abusing her?" You see that? My my own that? grandmother, and and, mm-hmm. and 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 this grandmother. This is a while back. She lived to be almost a hundred. She loved me more than she did any of her other grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, so even though I had an honored place in her heart, I was still a man yeah. who was supposed to be controlled by the local woman, which was my wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, a sign, you're a signed master, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your, your owner. Exactly. Your owner. Yes, and, and it's like, yeah. you know, and, and it's funny, my wife told me, uh, because my wife, who comes from a more patriarchal background than I do, that's the only reason I knew of that, because my wife told me. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife told me, you know, your, your grandmother said blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm like, really? You know, but you thinking back, no, it, it don't surprise me because, you know, my mother, my mother was a gynocrat, you know, yeah. obviously she was raised by this woman who was a gynocrat mm-hmm. and that impacted the relationship between my mother and my father. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you another example. I'll give you another example. I was, I was probably two years into my marriage. I got married in 2000. So I was two years into my marriage. I'm in graduate school. We got to, we're staying in a small cottage on the campus. My wife is not working. Mm-hmm. I am working four jobs, one of which is full time and going to school. I am paying for everything. I am covering everything. That's it. My, my wife is at home and she's, you know, that's for the moment, that's all she's responsible for, even though she didn't want to do those things because she's mm-hmm. a modern woman and she shouldn't have to cook and clean. So we're sharing that responsibility on top of all the other things going on. Mm. And her grandmother came to visit, right? Her grandmother came to visit. Now I've done all the family greetings and everything. So I retired to my office to begin working, you know, on the earliest stages of my dissertation. And her grandmother walks in a couple hours into the, the meeting, uh, into the visit. She pokes her head around the corner into my office. And she says, you know, um, it, you should be bringing your dishes into the kitchen for her because it's too much to ask her to come get them and clean them. You should be. And, and I didn't, you know, uh, appreciate you were that. Polite. Right? You were polite, huh? I was, well, yeah, I was polite. Cause actually I was her, that was her grandmother, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm right. But I'm looking at this and I'm saying, now this is interesting. Now I didn't have any of this framework at the time. This is mm-hmm. you know, 18 or so years ago, 19 years ago. But I was thinking, huh, I'm working four jobs. I'm in graduate school, working on a doctorate. I'm paying all the bills. I'm making sure everything is covered. And to the best of my ability, 
this girl doesn't need anything. Mm. And she takes it upon herself to tell me how to make it easier for her. There was no recognition of, at any point of what I was doing, how difficult it may have been, um, or to what extent, you know, um, you know, that it, the, none of that. It was all about how I needed to serve her better, even in the smallest way, to make things easier for her. And there was no frame of reference for what I might need. Mm-hmm. And and it it stuck with me for years. I didn't say anything. I just kind of every now and again I'd come back to that and be like, "There's something about that that I can't let go of." What is it? And I really couldn't even articulate it until I started running into brothers in spaces like this where we could have these conversations. And I was like, "Huh, interesting." You, you know what it is, Doc? Mm-hmm. Ain't I a woman too? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's the truth. It's true. Oh, it goes all the way back, man. You know, it, 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 you know, look, and here's a, here's a, here's a great thing from the perspective of your wife about what happened and, and God rest the soul of your wife. But, um, the great thing about that is because the grandmother asked the, not the mother, the grand, that's very disarming. <laughs> you have no, you have no defense for her grandmother asking you. Uh-huh. If she asked you, you're going to respond a certain way. Maybe even if her mother asks you, you're going. There, you have no defense for her grandmother asking. Mm-hmm. None and there, whatsoever. And there's no, there's no uh, possibility of you being served. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, and it doesn't matter what you've done. You, there's no point when you earned it, deserve it, nothing. No. This, this is one of the things that I talked about last year when I was talking about this whole notion of. You know, because we were my generation was promised in the 80s. If you make six figures that you'll be respected. Yeah. And what many of us found is when you make six figures, nothing changes. No, there's no substantive change. You, in you your, were supposed to make six figures. You're supposed mm-hmm. to, like it's how dare common. you not make six figures. Yes. But that doesn't that doesn't come with any change in behavior. So even if you're, you know, as a student supporting, paying for everything, doing all of the expectations that come with traditional masculinity. There is no reciprocal traditional femininity in any case. Mm-hmm. And, and to ask for it is considered egregious, to expect it even more so. And, and, and when you give permission for them to have a conversation with you, it's about what you need to be doing more of to, for, her, for it to be easier and better for her. There was no what whatever she does is always her choice. Mm-hmm. It's, her, it's yeah. always by her grace or mm-hmm. by her lead, regardless. Yeah, whether it's sex or whether it's it's being uh, submissive yes. or being uh, cooperative, right? Whether it's doing, you know, it's all by by her choice, by her mm-hmm. volition. Mm-hmm. See, when we surrender the notion, the mistake that men collectively made, and I blame white guys for this mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we when we surrender the notion of wifely duties, mm. when we sur- when that was no longer a thing, we basically opened them up for all this other shit. Mm. See, when when they don't have duties, mm-hmm. explicit expressed duties right. that they're supposed to do as a wife within a marriage. What you have is. Any damn thing they think or don't think at any point in time. 
Yeah, they can work. And, and men collectively, and I say I mostly blame white men, uh-huh. gave that up. They gave up. You don't hear about. Do you all ever in the common parlance hear the term wifely duties? No, no, not no. anymore. No. So he, if they don't have any duties as wife, then what in the actual fuck are they supposed to do? Well, they're, they're supposed to accept your service. Yes. She she yes. she can work full time, part time. She can have kids, yes. not have kids. She can adopt, she can abort, she can do whatever she wants. Yes. You're not allowed to have a thought or a comment about it unless it's in support of. Mm-hmm. Right? You, know, you, you, you can work multiple jobs. Now you can't stay at home. You can't work part time because that leaves the family vulnerable. As women have often said, your money is our money and my money is my money. This mm-hmm. is a dynamic. So that being said. Her, her job is to receive your service and let you know what level of quality it was. And, and we don't even talk about wifely duties, even in this environment. There, there are none. You know, even even Kevin Samuels, he don't really talk about wifely duties. He talk about wifely qualities. Mm-hmm. But he don't talk about wifely duties. This is your actual job. Mm-hmm. They're not enforceable. Yeah. You know. And, and and because there isn't any explicit discussion of what your duties are, you 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 make it impossible. Look, you cannot negotiate if you don't have actual terms. Mm-hmm. And and we never talk about actual terms. Your look, your duty is sex. Your mm-hmm. duty is sex a minimum of three times a week. Have you ever mm-hmm. heard that term in the common no. discussion? Doesn't exist anymore. No, you yeah. cannot, even for your wife, you cannot hold uh, right. expectations of her body. I mean, you got people that are still saying in a marriage at 20, you might be married for 20 years. You still have to have conversations about consent. You still have to get yeah. permission. You yeah. know what I mean? It's That's the reality we're in. But how much consent and permission do you have to give for your resources, your time, your energy? The the consent was the consent for her having access to all your resources was after the I do. Mm-hmm. That that was all the consent she needed for at least half of everything that you would ever do. Right. You know that's that 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 was it. I mean, there there is no other discussion needed beyond that point. There is no no negotiation beyond that point. There is no argument, debate. You know, uh, deliberation. You're married now. She's entitled to at least half and or whatever uh, child support for whatever children you have. So, it, you know, but like I said, in and terms of wifely duties, you're entitled to nothing. Yeah, you're entitled to nothing. And, and you're not even allowed to even assert the yes. requirement of anything. There are people mm-hmm. listening to this exchange right now saying, listen how, to how sexist this is. Right. But it doesn't dawn on anyone that it might be sexist at all, that men are expected and required to serve with no reciprocity. Right. Yeah. That's, not well, we, 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 that's because we've allowed a very one-sided yes. uh, lexicon or nomenclature to mm-hmm. evolve. That I mean, we've allowed that for generations. Right. Mm-hmm. And and it's gone unopposed, wholly unopposed. Yeah. And, and black men are uniquely positioned, I believe, to to change the language. 
because we've never black men have never directly taken on the feminists. Mm. Black men have never collectively taken on intersectionality. Not really. Mm. You know, so it'll be interesting to see if we nut up and and take on the feminists, take on the intersectionality in intersectionality because you guys already have the social science that wholly dispels the legitimacy of almost all of the rhetoric supporting the uh, foundation of intersectionality. It's just that we've never collectively taken it on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's very recent and, and one could argue whether you're talking about the manosphere or whether you're talking about the publishing of the man, not that is mm-hmm. the marker for black men who's starting to confront feminism mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. impact of feminism in our communities. But you, you didn't see it in the 1970s and the eighties and not in any collective way. There were individuals, mm-hmm. of course, but not in a collective way where black men started to compare notes and exchange. And a lot of that couldn't happen until social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it was B- and BGS and I are old enough to recall a lot of us brothers back then were too busy trying to survive. you know a a lot you know a lot of this was and and like you say you social media internet or whatever you know a lot of it was you know brothers trying to get and keep jobs and those of us who have families trying to get and keep together and hold together families and some of us a few of us who graduated college and and maybe got a decent job maybe a decent government job or whatever you know, you're trying to get and hold on to and maintain what you needed to do to get and keep your home, keep your try to keep your family together, maybe send your kids to college. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of this stuff, a lot of the non-response of black yeah. men was a function of us trying to be good black men. Ironically. Yeah. Well, and that that's what I call the velvet, the, the black love velvet painting. <laughs> yes, so yes, many, very us, much so. Very many much of us so. were trying to live in that painting. Yes. And uh, I think I, I'm trying to remember who said it uh, in that show, BGS, but somebody made the comment we were the only ones trying to live in it. And that was the biggest, that was our biggest. Oh, yeah. Right. Yep. Might have been Artisan. Yeah, I think it was Artisan. Yeah, we, we black men love those velvet paintings. Yeah. We heart those velvet paintings. We try to make our lives into it, especially if you were in any kind of conscious pro-black kind of space. Mm -hmm. You tried to live and create. But but it it wasn't even just a look. You could at a certain point go into the homes of black people all over. And and they had at least one of those velvet paintings up, man. Sure. Sure. You know, I I mean, they you know, I remember like an, an uncle of mine had one of those several of those velvet paintings in the basement of his home mm-hmm. prominently displayed mm-hmm. in his, you know, I mean, those were aspirational, mm-hmm. very aspirational. for black. Yeah. They, they were a, a, a visionary kind of view of what we were supposed to do and be uh, as black people, but particularly as black men. Mm-hmm. And even though, and, and we saw the paintings and, and think about it. Hindsight is ridiculous because we saw the paintings of the guy Holding up the world, yeah. you know, on his knees with yeah. the sister standing up. Above. I mean, we saw the we yeah. saw those paintings, <laughs> and we did not at all realize what that meant. You know, we we didn't 
we she, embrace that. She's riding on his back and she's holding the baby and he's yeah. got, he's yeah. got the family on his back and holding up the world. And, and we were we were okay. We were okay. we saw that. Mm-hmm. And we accepted that. Brothers mm-hmm. died trying to live that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brothers died trying to live that. And and we stopped trying to live it when uh when they we had the same velvet painting with her with us kissing her feet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you 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 would see her standing and him kissing. <laughs> it just was, it just kind of got you know out of hand. But but we wanted so much. Look, nobody wants a black family more than a black man. Yes, nobody wants a black family more than a black man. That that's definitely been my life experience. And and brothers will hold on to that. Even well after the woman is gone and taking the kids, <laughs> you know, brothers be still holding on to that shit, man. Or trying to create another family. Or trying to create another one, and, and the same thing's gonna happen again. And so you have a brother, he done been married three or four times, has, has had two or three families, and has made the same mistake over and over again, and and it don't even really gone on him until he's just being, you know, just totally exploited by child support or whatever to the point of death almost. But I mean, us boomers in particular did that over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. My generation wanted to, but that was when you started to see the the, the breaking down because what shifted from the 70s to the 80s was was a level of entitlement that we hadn't seen coming. I mean, it reached that proportion. Uh, and I love the way Kevin talks about this because he actually he did a he did a great breakdown with Minister Jack on this uh, last year. He said one of the things that happened is that black women were entered into were allowed to enter the corporate world, and they started to use corporate tactics in developing relationships with men. Yeah. It started, same kind of corporate tactic. You had to interview to see if you were a worthy candidate. And, and I remember this happening. So, but, so the way he put it was beautifully you know, stated. But at the end of the day, these kind of power tactics that were being used alongside the state's imp- you know, emphasis on uh, prioritizing black women created a whole new environment where men quickly understood that we could not, we couldn't make that velvet painting happen. Now we kept trying we kept trying to some extent, but we it, it became clear that we couldn't do it, that we could not do it. And you saw, and you saw men continue. My generation stepped away from marriage more than than the boomers, and every generation since has, has continued to kind of go down. Although I think recently there's been a little bit of a pushback the other way toward marriage again. But for the most part, since the 1960s, men have been pulling away from marriage because that velvet painting isn't realistic. Isn't realistic. Well, at that plus the fact that the women women at that point clearly uh, communicated they they didn't want to be in the painting. See, <laughs> in the past, the women would at least pretend that they wanted to be in the painting, but but by the time that you describe at that point, they were like, "Fuck that painting!" Yeah, yeah. So, no, no. This is your new painting where we where yeah. you're kissing our feet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, once it got to the point where it was like either they didn't want to be in the painting or it was just so so grossly uh, diminutive of the men 
so to speak. And, and it was rather, it wasn't so, in my view, it wasn't so much the demands of the women as much as it was the audaciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, look, when you, when you start getting songs where they're saying there's nothing going on but the rent. <laughs> that was early. There, there, there's an audaciousness <laughs> to that. That's There's a, a venality, a mercenary mm-hmm. quality to that. Mm-hmm. That that you know was new, yeah. right? I mean, you always knew women were on the come up and and were hypergamous and whatever, but everybody did a kind of dance, so to speak, to kind of right. smooth smooth over the hard edges of just the basic mercenary nature of females. Mm-hmm. But when <laughs> you got like platinum songs saying there's nothing going on but the rent. I mean, you you can't you can't smooth that shit over, man. Especially when, that, when you got the the no scrubs and you know <laughs> when it evolves when it evolves into no scrubs, you see the direction. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like damn, I can't even be on the passenger side of my homie. <laughs> you know, it, it, the the women clearly communicated the like I said the level of greed and vanity. And uh, banality, the mercenary, that that again was always there, but they just became so bold with it that you couldn't do the prior dance of yeah. pretending that you weren't being just totally played, or, or you were dancing by yourself. <laughs> yeah, or that too. I appreciate yeah. that, Broken Blade. You were dancing by yourself and not realizing it. So you get to this see a point. lot. Of, a lot of brothers are okay with being a simp. As long as the woman ain't um, being so audacious about, you know, illustrating how much of a simp you are. I mean, that's that's much of the history of black men in this country. A lot of us being simps, but under the auspices of a woman who would be kind enough to not sort of celebrate that we're simps. <laughs> What's new is you a damn simp. I'm telling you, a damn simp. I'm putting that shit on Instagram. Mm. <laughs> well, tying it, tying it back to the beginning of the show, what we what we're also seeing mm-hmm. is that once you're connected to her, mm-hmm. your resources are expected to extend to her network. So not only are you a simp, yeah, you're, yeah. you're useful to her entire yeah. network, mm-hmm. and you can't say anything about it. Mm-hmm. As long as you want to remain a good black man, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and but it, now how you rebel against that is you fuck her friends in the system. Oh, <laughs> I'm well, just saying. <laughs> you yeah. You, well, at least you get. Payment. I'm just saying you, you that you know, uh, and I'm not saying you should, yeah. but I'm just saying that that <laughs> that you, you, be, you become, become more concubine than surf. Then yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but here's the there's a role for you either way. We talked about future. If right, you, right. Oh, yeah, you want to be a concubine or a sperm yeah. donor, there's yeah. a place for you. Yeah, there's a place. There's a place for there's you. you. So as long as, but that's the thing. If you're already familiarized with a certain set of roles that you've been accustomed to, mm-hmm. even when you're rebelling, you're participating mm-hmm. one way or another. You just may be shifting from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going from service to sperm donor, but you still only <laughs> imagine within the framework you've been introduced to. Mm-hmm. And, and you also, you know, 
just kind of thinking back, you also allow yourself to be a part of the uh, drama between and amongst the women that, that they're going to enjoy as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that is, so you know, you're the husband that fucks the, you know, best yeah. friend of your wife and mm-hmm. all that bullshit. Right. Uh, yeah, so, the the, yeah. the, the, yeah, the, the entertainment portion. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You become the, you know, he's an evil guy. He took advantage yeah. of you. And... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, all I would say to, to close this out to y'all is be aware. Be aware of the network. Be aware of how it functions. I'm not saying to don't to not do it. I'm not saying that women are all doing it and they're evil or none of that. What I'm saying to you is be aware that this dynamic exists and you decide if you want to play into it. And even if you do, you decide on what terms, because we haven't been introduced to terms, as Uru was saying, we haven't learned how to demand reciprocity. If you're going to go into it, yeah. go into it clear about what you want and articulate it and stand on it like a rock. If you don't want to do it, at least you'll know it when you see it and you can bounce. But well, well, a lot of these women have jobs, they have resources. Uh, like I say, make sure it's communicated that you've established some sort of marker yeah. with mm-hmm. these women that you, that you will at some point cash in. Yeah, yeah. Man, and, yeah. and more times than not, they will. Because like I say, a lot of these women, particularly the older women, if for no other reason, they, they kind of lonely and whatever. Make make sure you cash in on your 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 concubine dumb. Yeah. In other words, you know, don't 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 be a victim. Get a reward for it. And yeah, yeah. As we're gonna close, as my closing thought. Yeah. Yeah, that's my closing thought as well, Doc. Value your life. Make sure you get some kind of reciprocation. Yeah, get some kind of reciprocation. Don't don't be don't be a hoe for free. Yeah. Oh damn! <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, ain't ain't nothing worse than a than an unpaid hoe. Unpaid hoe, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, I appreciate y'all coming in. I appreciate the Onyx uh, Report crew coming through. I'll see you guys next week. Shout out to uh, brother Black Uru, especially for the last minute jump in, and definitely <laughs> shout out to my brother BGS uh, who didn't have to do this at all tonight. So I appreciate him coming through. Y'all have a good one. I'm going to let you guys down, uh, pull you out, and close out. Uh, so let me do this here. All right. And then let me get my stuff together. All right. So y'all have a good one. See you next week. I am here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth. Perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man-children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unintelligent henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic and selfish and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace. Yeah.